Well, it's all in milliseconds today. That's what we're talking about. Milliseconds, things that happen in milliseconds that can change the outcome of a crash or get off. What we're talking about is airbags. Airbags that are either built into a vest or a jacket and, and the jacket or vest senses that you're about to crash and if all goes as planned, it inflates in about the, the time it takes you to blink your eye or snap, that snap took about 60 milliseconds. We're talking really, really fast, somewhere around that anyway. But what you will pick up in these conversations today is that there's a few topics that we as riders need to consider. Is an airbag practical for us as riders, for your style of riding? What type of technologies are available? How do they work? Which one's best for you? Um, and what are the chances of them actually saving you from some kind of injury if you were in a, a crash or get off? Well, when it comes to airbag technology, airbags have obviously been around for a long time. We know them well in cars. We know what they do for us there. But motorcycles are different. Um, but there's so many variables with a motorcycle and being that you're riding on top of this vehicle. Think about this, though. Airbags ha are, have been required in MotoGP since 2018. Now, just coming this year, they will be required for riders in Dakar. But these are top-level riders doing extreme things. Will they really add that much safety for the average rider? Could an airbag actually reduce or eliminate an injury or get off for you? Now, I say reduce or eliminate, and I say could it, because there's fundamental differences when it comes to the types of crashes and the physics, the types of crashes we have on a motorcycle, whether it's a side crash or a front crash, and the physics of inflating an airbag in time to be effective. You can hear talk about that today. It's quite interesting. There's advantages and disadvantages between the mechanical and the electronic styles of, of uh, airbag systems. And there is at least one that you probably haven't heard of at this point that uses an external sensor on the motorcycle. We're going to find out what that can do for you. All that and a lot more coming up today. So we got a lot to cover. Now, now let me just say this. If you're thinking, well, I don't need another piece of expensive safety gear. I already have a good jacket. I've got good pants, my boots and my gloves. Let me just say, if this were back in the days before helmets and somebody was trying to tell you about this revolutionary piece of expanded foam inside a bucket that fits on your head that in many cases is going to save your brain in a crash, would you walk away or maybe sit and listen and consider? I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. There's a huge adventure motorcycle event happening this year called the Get On ADV Fest, brought to you by Revzilla. It takes place in the Black Hills of South Dakota this July 15 to 18. Get your tickets at revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. 
Best Rest product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. I think the best way to kick this off is uh, by talking with somebody who's actually had a crash, who's actually worn an air vest and been in a crash. Well, actually, he's had two crashes. He's been wearing an air vest since, I think, pretty much since they first became available. He, he's one of those guys, you know, an early adopter. Craig, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Well, thank you. Very happy to be here. My name is Craig Reniker. I live in Northville, Michigan, and I am responsible for engineering for an automotive supplier, AAM. You wear an air vest while you ride. What first got you interested in riding with an air vest? Well, when I first made the decision to go back into motorcycling, because, you know, I had one when I was a teenager and then I got out of it completely when I got married and had kids like like so many of us do. When I went back into it, um, I told myself and my wife that, you know, I want to do this for a long time and I want to take every safety precaution that I can. I mean, we all know motorcycling has got certain risks associated with it, but I wanted to take advantage of every piece of technology, every bit of training that would help me be as safe as possible on the, on the road. Uh, I learned about at get all the gear all the time. That made a lot of sense to me. And when I saw the airbag jacket technology was just really coming on the market back then in 2009, I thought that was a very good extension of the at get strategy. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a try. So I bought uh, basically one of the first generation um, airbag jackets and have ridden with one ever since. I'm, I'm on my, let's see, I'm on my fourth now, uh, but I've been w- regularly wearing an airbag vest or jacket of some sort since 2009. Wow. So you're, you're the early adopter for sure. Now you're, you said regularly wearing it. Are you wearing it all the time? Every time you ride, that's part of your equipment? Um, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I did the entire New Mexico BDR with my, uh, my climb wireless vest on. So why have you gone through so many vests? When I started, there was very little available. Uh, So the first jacket I bought um, was a tethered jacket. It was from a company that's now gone called Impact Jackets. And I bought a tethered uh, jacket from then. Um, But then I I found a better one. A few years later, I bought a Hidair MX-5 mesh jacket that had a little bit better cooling in it. Then I wanted to be waterproof and the Hidair jacket was not waterproof. So I bought a Climb Latitude suit waterproof, but no airbag. So then I switched to the Hidair MLV YC vest that I could put on over my waterproof, over my waterproof gear. And then in the last year or so, when Climb came out with the AI1 vest where I could get rid of the cable altogether, I could wear it under my gear. I really liked that idea. So I, uh, I bought that just before we did the New Mexico BDR and I've been really, really happy with it. How many jackets have you actually tried as in how to get off with? Oh, two. I've only ever, only ever been down on my bike in a, in a, in a way that would cause me some risk. I've had lots of drops on uh, Sandy riding in Michigan, but I've had two drops on the road. Uh, one it was in Germany. And at that point I was wearing my uh, uh, Hit Air MX-5 mesh jacket. 
And then uh, most recently here, just if, uh, right before the New Mexico uh, backcountry discovery route, I had another low side with my GS wearing my climb AI1. And in both cases, uh, both devices worked perfectly. They were fully inflated by the time uh, my body came in contact with the road and I popped up and had Absolutely not a scratch, not a bruise, nothing from either one of those two. No, they were relatively minor incidents, but uh, but the jackets worked. So I want to start with the second one. Let's talk about that because that's a more severe crash that you had with that. Which vest is it you're wearing at the time? This is the Climb AI-1. The Climb AI-1. So that's an electronic vest. It's one you you have to buy a subscription to or or buy the unit outright. It also has an app on your phone, et cetera. So just set it up. Where were you going? What was the plan on the bike? Well, it wasn't much of an adventure ride. I was driving across Detroit to visit my granddaughter. So I was just trying to get on a major highway in the Detroit area we call 696. And as I merged onto the, to the, the highways, when I got, uh, got whacked by the truck. So, so it was a fairly boring drive. I was just driving across town. So talk about this. You're going on, you're, you're on the on-ramp, you're coming up to, to traffic. What happens then? Well, it was a, an, a, an interesting on-ramp in which traffic can join the same ramp either from the south or from the north. I was joining from the south. A truck was coming from the north. And the way the road is set up, the my lane had right of way. Basically, what happened is he he started pushing the the front of the bike off. So he was parallel with me. He kept moving to the right moving to the right. And I thought he would see me and either accelerate or stop moving, but he didn't. So he basically just just made contact with my front wheel, just a little bit of contact with the front wheel. And that was enough to, 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 to kick the bars a bit and, uh, and, and cause me to go down. And what happened when you went over, you hit the grass, I assume. Yeah, I, I low sided and I watched my bike slide away from me into the gravel of the, uh, um, in the, the shoulder of the road. And then I sort of fell on my rear end and slid along uh, on the, on the road for, uh, for a bit and uh, came to a rest. Uh, it popped up and looked around. My jacket was fully inflated and uh, didn't have any bangs or dents. And I looked at my hands and fingers and legs and realized I'm perfectly fine. I'm good. And um, then proceeded to go over and, and shut the bike off, you know, shut the bike off and then get ready to pick it up. And did you feel that the, the vest actually did something? Did you land on your back? Oh, it absolutely did something. Yes, I, I landed on my shoulder and on my back and the airbag cushioned that. And I could tell because when I looked at my jacket afterwards, it was very, very much abraded and cut up uh, in the back where it, where it hit. Uh, and I never felt any of it. I just never felt any of it. It felt like I was sliding on a little bit of a, a cushion of air. So I'm sliding down the road, but really had no... No, 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 no pain or anything as I was doing it because the 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 vest creates basically a buffer of about two to three inches between you and the outer the outer level of your of your jacket. How fast do you think you were going? About forty miles an hour, I think. Forty miles an hour, so considerable speed. I mean, to come off the bike. Yeah, yeah, I, I can tell you. Had I not been at GAT, you know, if I was wearing flip flops and shorts and a helmet, I, I don't. You know, I, I don't know what would have happened. I would have hit my head because I have a scrape on my helmet. And, and again, from the, the degree to which my gear was torn up, you know, that would have been, that would have been my skin, you know? So uh, I, I think the gear really protected me uh, very, very well. And the, and the airbag vest was, was key to that. 
Okay, so we're going to stop with Craig here right right at this point. Now, we're going to bring him back in uh, further on in the show. He's got a lot of information. We're going to talk about whether the vest was damaged after each use and what it was like to use um, the, the things that he found that he liked and didn't like and he couldn't get used to, etc. That all will come up. But first, we're going to talk to some experts. We're going to talk to the people that actually design the technology we're talking about. Hi, my name is Jason Plummer. I live in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and I work for the company Climb, and I'm the product line manager for motorcycle and off-road. Jason, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. It's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. So Climb makes um, a vest that is called the Climb AI-1. Have I got that right? You do, yes. AI-1 airbag vest. What is that and what is it supposed to do? Okay, well, in a nutshell, the, the AI-1 is an algorithm-driven um, airbag system. Uh, we've partnered with a company out of France named In-In-Motion. They provide the algorithm-driven brain and the electronics and the bladder, all the things that make the airbag work. We're the apparel experts. We made the vest for it to go in. Mm, okay, so y- your job is to make the apparel that this equipment goes in so that it works properly if, if it has to go off. Correct. Yeah, it needs to be situated in the right place on the body. And a big focus for us is always the balance of of comfort, uh, comfort with protection. And so, you know, having a bladder and housed in a vest in this case, you know, underneath a protective riding jacket, um, a heavy focus on us was making sure that you're only crashing some of the time. We want you to be comfortable the rest of the time and then have it be there for you when you do have that crash. So what, what sort of things do you have to do to make uh, an air vest comfortable? I mean, is it, a, is it the air vest sort of a plasticky thing that, that's going to be sitting against you without the garment? You no, know, there is a plastic housing on the back. And what this vest does is it protects the abdomen, the thorax, the neck, and the spine. And so it's also backed up by um, a level one or level two back pad. In our case, we, it comes standard with a level one back protector sort of as a extra measure. And... The, there's a plastic housing on the back. If you if you know much about the car industry, you know that their ab, airbags are driven by the, an argon gas, you know, canister powered system that blows up on contact. And this is very much the same thing, uses the same kind of gas argon canister. It's about the same size. It actually comes from the auto industry. So this hunky thing that you've got has to be housed somewhere. So it is actually housed um, in a plastic housing that is contoured and sort of embedded into the back pads so that you're reducing the most amount of bulk that you can, making sure that you're preserving breathability and in general, making it comfortable and safe for the rider, especially when you do have a deployment. Mm, Yeah, because I can imagine that a big part of this sort of thing is making it so you want to actually wear it. And that's what you're doing at Climb, I assume, with this, is you're making it so that it's it's comfortable and it works. Yeah, I think for, for each and every rider, you know, they have their own personal threshold of what the comfort and safety access is. Um, you know, it's like there's people who want to wear riding jeans to ride casually, and then there's people who want the absolute highest end of protection. A lot of times because of experiences they've had in a crash, and they realize, you know, how big the implications can be. And so they're choosing to say, okay, what am I, what's the comfort level I'm willing to give up to gain this amount of safety? And so our comfort is always, we don't want you to give up any comfort if possible. So we're going to do everything we can to preserve that while giving you this extra layer of safety. And up until this product 
we've done that typically through our hard parts and soft goods like our, you know, sort of bomb proof apparel for adventure and touring, let's say our focus on impact and abrasion resistance there. This is an added layer that complements those things for the rider that's, you know, looking for an extra layer of protection, but doesn't want to continually give up more and more comfort. And we think we've done a good job with the vest. That's made of soft, pliable materials, mesh in a lot of places. And the whole idea is to make sure it stays breathable and comfortable and sort of just integrates into your overall protection package. So your jacket in this case. So what is this supposed to do? Just walk us through that. You're on the bike, you're wearing this thing. What happens? Sure. I mean, there's really, there's two paths you can go down as far as airbag protection. You can go the tethered route, which, you know, we'll call the analog route. And by all measures, it's a, it's a great, it's a great avenue for those who want to get into something. Um, in some cases, it's, it's more, it's more um, better for cost. Um, but what's come about now, and especially driven through MotoGP and some of these other avenues is this algorithm based system. And so it's a tetherless system. It's a digital driven system versus analog. And, and so what it does is it sets up a set of conditions that it will deploy if it exceeds those set of conditions. But basically on the road, there's the algorithm has a set of parameters that basically says, Hey, the bike is supposed to stick to the road, right? The tires stick to the road. And under those, those kind of conditions, there's certain angles and velocities and all of these metrics that come in that when that gets triggered, the airbag will deploy in under 60 milliseconds. And if you look at the crash data and some of the uh, YouTube videos, it shows well before you hit a vehicle. And just to back up a second, we know that over 70% of most car wrecks are from uh, a motorist, a driver in a car taking an illegal left-hand turn or just turning into the lane and not seeing the motorcyclist. The motorcyclist T-bones them, goes over the front of the car. And so a lot of um, a lot of these are front-loaded impacts, and they can affect the core quite a bit, where all your vitals are. And so the whole thing is, is it deploys in under 60 milliseconds, and the idea is that it saves all your vitals, and hopefully the rest of the garments that you're wearing with the impact and abrasion protection are going to save you at that point, too. Okay, so Climb makes the garment and sells the airbag as a, as a whole complete kit. But the company that is behind the technology of the airbag itself and the brain that operates it, the company that actually invented the technology and updates it continuously is, as Jason said, called In and Motion. And they're based in France. So um, I'm uh, Pef Tissot, um, I'm French, based in Annecy, close to French Alps. Um, I'm an engineer as a, as a background and I've uh, co-founded InnoMotion um, now eight years ago. And I am in charge of the sales and marketing of the company. Now, is it Pef? Is that what you go by? Yeah, it's Pef, it's me. Nice okay. to meet you. Okay, nice to meet you as well. So in in motion, can you talk about this? Like, First of all, how did you come up with the idea? You said you co-founded it. Um, what brought that on? Well, basically, you know, I was uh, in an engineering school with two friends and uh, Valentin um, is um, the second partner, is, is really the, the engineer with a big E, uh, the kind of guys which is able to uh, to uh, build his own bicycles, his own windsurf, and always keen on, on mixing technologies and know how to, uh, to work on product. And... Uh, he was a very good skier, in a very good contact with some professional skiers, and he started to work after his uh, after few few uh, years as a consultant 
on an air, on an airbag project for top skiers. And as I was riding motorcycles on my side, I thought, wow, there is something to do. And indeed, there, has, there were already on the market some uh, mechanical triggered systems that use a lanyard and uh, links, link you to the motorcycles. And we thought, okay, there is something new there. There is a, a chance to use the actual technologies uh, of, um, of electronics, embedded electronics, wearables, and stuff like this to, to use these technologies for uh, production to, to save lives. And that's how we, uh, let's say, kickstart in motion in uh, about um, 10 years ago. It was just a project. We start from SKUs uh, and uh, from all we learned from SKUs and we had even some, uh, all the Can Canadian ski cross teams as well as the US ski cross team using our product now for uh, six years. Uh, then of course the next step was going to the motorcycles and we started from MotoGP races. Uh, down to anyone now uh, using our system. So that's, uh, in a, a long story short, the, the, the basics of Inemotion. That's really interesting. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that skiers would even have an airbag. Now, this is obviously for a high-speed downhill ski crash. That's what the airbag would be for. Indeed. Mm, it's interesting, just be, from my perspective, being from the motorcycle industry, you know, my outlook is that it must start here. <laughs> it certainly wouldn't start in skiing. And, and I'm shocked to find that, that it's also used in other areas, I'm, you know, horseback riding and things like that with, with other uh, vest manufacturers. But well, so with In Motion, your idea with this was, like you said already, you, you were working on mechanical vests, and that's the, the one we understand has a tether on it, which activates it. But In Motion is all about electronics. Is that right? Yeah, we used to say that it's smart wearable airbags. Uh, so smart means um, it is it detects the crash situation by himself. Wearable because uh, the opposite of a, uh, uh, an airbag you can find in a car, it's a very different. And that's why we have invented the word wearbag, which is a contraction of wearable airbags. Like a smartphone is a smart telephone. We have invented the wearbags. Wearbag. Wearable airbags. Wearbag. Yeah, wearbags. I like that. Yeah. Wearbag. <laughs> um, and, um, and we want to make it autonomous. So autonomous means not any sensors, any links, whatever related to the motorcycles. You get the vest, you put it on, and you're ready to ride. Whatever, whatever, the, whatever the bike uh, you are riding, you can, you, you, uh, the, the airbag is, uh, let's say, it's ready. It's very versatile. Uh, so that's our, let's say that's our, our way to explain the systems. And there is a very simple equation when you work on the smart wear, wear bag is you need to detect a crash, then you need to protect the body which which may be impact during the crash. Then that's the emotional ways we are keep on improving from from all we learn from the crash situation. And last but not least, we have to make our system our production warm. So it's detect, protect, perfect, and, uh, and, and use it every day. So those four pillars are driving the development of our systems. So when you said autonomous, you, you're, you're referring to the fact that this thing operates on its own. It doesn't, it's not connected through that tether. Why do you think that that's a better approach than a mechanical approach, which is much simpler to build, design, Yes, um, we always can think that bringing more technology is the risk of bringing uh, more bugs. I agree. Sure. Um, uh, that's also why we have to, in our approach, we have um, we have this idea that the technology and the innovation can be turned to the service of saving lives. 
but we we are not into the position to say let's put innovation just for fun just to to, to put a, let's say a 4k screen <laughs> on, as a dashboard so that's that's, right. that's, that's uh, the innovation without purpose right and uh, we even used to say that we use artificial intelligence for life i mean a lot of of companies are using artificial intelligence for uh, to track you to sell you more product now we just use ai to save lives um what's the main difference between lanyards and electronics the first one is um, lanyard systems are limited by the technology itself, which is a kind of low tech. I mean, you, every, anyone can understand that you're riding your bikes, that you leave your bikes. It is pulling the pulling the the tether and finally in, uh, inflate the airbags. So we all know that in some situations, uh, like losing the front, uh, like a low side, you lose the front the front uh, wheel, uh, and 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 then uh, um, slide on the ground. You may remain very close to the motorcycle. Oh, wow. That is something that I've not thought of before. So with a tethered unit, if you go down and are skidding with this tether connected and you're close to the bike, and if you stay on the bike, if you if you hold on, we've seen this before, even in high speed crashes on the, on the racetrack, then yeah. your vest is not going to go off. It does not know you need protection. Yep. Wow. So this is where you excel. That's that's one situation. The other um, a tricky situation is a collision. Uh, so basically, uh, the the motorcycle hit a car. Uh, from the time that the the, the car the motorcycle hit the car, that from the uh, to the time that the, the 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 driver, the motorcyclist, the biker is going to impact the car, we have less than tens of a seconds. We speak about something like eighty milliseconds. Eighty milliseconds. Yep. And. Uh, uh, for such a short period of time, lanyard systems are too slow. I mean, the time that you have to pull the tether and then to start inflate the cushion is too low. And electronic airbags also the chance also to use different um, type of cas and different type of what we call inflator to inflate faster. So it's the best from detecting very fast up to inflation inflating very fast. But, so the the thing is with the tether, the tether always has to reach that length before it pops. Um, so on a yep. front end collision, this is something that's interesting with with um, that I didn't know before getting into this is the front end collision is obviously much faster when you think about it, it makes perfect sense than a side collision because you have a vehicle coming towards you, you're going towards it. And the the uh, electronics will will sense things much quicker than the tether. But aren't you still limited by that analog part of your system because you have the the digital part of your system, which is your brain that you have in the in the vest that detects the crash. But then you have the analog, the inflation system. Now you did mention a, a faster gas, but you're still limited by that. So where you're gaining, correct me if I'm wrong here, when I'm trying to get my head around this, where you're gaining is in that sensing. You're gaining, instead of waiting for the strap to become taut and then fire off, you're trying to detect that from the moment the crash happens. Yeah, and even in some cases, we try to predict the crash. Um, what we need to have is a good prediction of the body at the first impact. Predict it? Wow. Yeah, let let, let me tell you why. How, why do we use this word predictive? And that's also the strength of, of having a smart connected electronics embedded into the garments is we can make it, we believe it's one of the best today, but we can make it better tomorrow. And when I was explaining the four pillars is we, did, we, did, we had to detect fast to protect the best and to perfect the system regularly. So 
what does what does the thing happens into a collision a collision situation as you say the time of pulling the tether plus inflating is too is too slow we are speaking roughly about 200 250 milliseconds versus for the same detection and inflations for an emotion we will be at 60 milliseconds so roughly it's four times faster so we can uh, we, we can have a fully inflated cushion at the first impact of the body on the car and there is some crash test you can find on, on, on the internet showing this uh, this in live. But what, what do I speak? I speak about predictive is a low side. Uh, I mean, you are like driving, losing the, the rear end and the, the bike start to wumble and um, and the systems will take the decision when you when it believes that you can't recover from this position and you are going to crash. So you are not at the, at the time that the airbag inflates. You didn't. You are, you are not on the ground. Hopefully, you are still on your bike. Probably legs <laughs> higher than your than the the steering the the handlebar. Right. Uh, uh, but but you are. I mean, up to now everything is fine. It's like if you jump from from a plane without a, a parachute until the ground, everything is fine. <laughs> so at this time, we need to inflate uh, before the first impact, and. The beauty of this technology is we have today um, uh, 30,000 users, MotoGP riders, regular riders, uh, Dakar racers, uh, commuters, any type of people roughly in today uh, of, um, something like uh, 25 countries. And every time someone is using our system, he's bringing to the rest of the community part of, of ex his experience of riding. So... The more people we have riding, the more crash we are getting, the better we can improve the systems and get more and more predictable. So that's what I've understood so far from talking with Climb about your system, how it works, is that you have the brain that's in your vest that you're wearing. The brain collects information and then at some point uploads it back to you guys at the manufacturer and you're using the information that you get there to help do things like, for instance, this, this predictive uh, activity where you, you get a low side. At what point do you, have you collected enough data? To, does it just go on forever? Um, excellent questions. If I give you some, uh, some key, point, some key uh, uh, let's say, milestones, um, at the beginning, we had to collect data from, from races because um, to give you an idea between our, 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 our people are using the street mode and people are using uh, some other mode, like adventure modes, we have a, a level of crash with around 20. So, I mean, someone which has activated the adventure mode is going to crash 20 times more than the street mode, which is basically logical because we, all, we are all <laughs> pushing to the limits when we are out off-road versus when we are on road. Sure. I guess you agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, um, you expect it. If you're you're riding your adventure bike uh, in, in anything other than asphalt, you're going to expect that sometime you're going to drop this bike. You're going to go down. Exactly, exactly. So we had first to collect data and on the type of crash we didn't got from our data acquisition that started now back in the uh, in 2015, uh, we had to do some, some crash tests. So based on those two situations of real crash data plus crash tests in some other scenarios of crash, we were able to build a first version of the algorithm, which was kind of basically based on, on, on laws of physics. So our, our algorithm was analyzing the physics of and the equation of movement of, your, of the body. But since we have passed around 10 millions of miles of data from more than 10,000 users, 
we can use more statistics and start to work on AI and using um, uh, machine learning to show to, uh, to show to our algorithm, okay, this is situation of crash. This is our situation of not crash. Please find the best way to make the difference between both. So now we have these two approaches, the, the, let's say, physics and kinematics approach and a statistics approach that enables us to have uh, different strategies of triggering, which, have, which are, let's say, uh, um, collaborating together to cover a maximum situation of case. And the, our, our goal uh, is to reach uh, a coverage ratio of 100% with zero force triggering. That's our, uh, that's our goal, that's our roadmap. Uh, of course, today, we can't say that we cover 100% of, of motorcycle crash, whatever are the conditions. And it's something which is quite important, I think, to say, uh, to be quite uh, transparent, is today you may have a crash with an in-motion airbags and the airbags may not detect. It's not because the system has a bug or is, is misfunctioning. The system will do exactly what we have designed him to do. We just say, okay, in this situation, it's not a crash situation, don't inflate. And it will be. Of course, uh, now, after uh, four years of having your systems, those situations are very, very rare. And some of them, especially in the Venture, are at low speed. So in some cases, we even don't, we even prevent the airbag to inflate because we, we believe that the speed was too slow and, and the, the kinematics of the crash was too smooth to require the inflation of the airbag. On the other side, there is the question of avoiding the force triggering. As you can imagine, in 99.9% .9 of the time, our systems are just remain passive, checking the data and doing nothing more than, than just checking the data. So we want to avoid, and any motorcyclist would avoid to have an, infl an airbag inflated in a in a weird situations because you 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 may fear that you are unbalanced. Uh, so it's really a fight between targeting, uh, touching and uh, touching the 100% covering ratio and avoiding zero wrong inflations. And today, how can we do it is on one side collecting, now we have uh, 1,500 crash situations. And on the other side, we have, uh, uh, I'm used to speaking kilometers, so if I make the conversion, uh, yeah, we have, we are above, almost close to 20 millions of miles of normal situations to avoid uh, wrong inflations. And how do we do it to finish is basically every time we improve our, our detection strategies, we just modify the threshold of the algorithm. We use all the data we have collected as a kind of uh, DVDs of, uh, of, of riding situations. And we rerun all the situations with our, new, with our systems. And that's where we can say, hey, with our new algorithm, we are inflating two new crash that we were never not covering before. And at the same time, we have inflated two times that we should not do. So this new algorithm is not ready to be published and to be pushed to, the, to our committers, to our, let's say, to our members. We're going to take a really quick break and be right back with more. Stay with us. we got a lot more coming up. Revzilla is presenting the new Get On ADV Fest this July 15 to 18 in the Black Hills of South Dakota. This is set to be a huge event. Now, you can ride your adventure motorcycle along routes that they've got, uh, trails. You can camp there. You can watch presentations. There's going to be so much going on. You'll... um. 
you'd be able to try out some of the top brands as well. BMW, Kawasaki, even Harley Davidson is going to be there with their new Pan America, all for you to try out, just ride around there and, and check things out. BMW is going to be presenting the BMW Taste of GS Trophy, uh, where you get to ride the uh, the GS, or sort of a challenge, uh, GS Challenge course. And you get tips as well from pros from the BMW Performance Center. There's going to be a ton of vendors showcasing products, um, selling gear. They have certified mechanics there to install gear um, and upgrade your motorcycle. I mean, it sounds like there's just going to be tons. This should be a really great event. You can get your tickets. I'm going to tell you how in a second, but first I'm going to tell you where it is. The Get On ADV Fest is happening at the Buffalo Chip Campgrounds in Buffalo Chip. It's all happening July 15th, 18th, this year, 2021. So to get your tickets, go to this website. It's revzilla.com forward slash ADV hyphen fest. And by the way, the Revzilla crew is going to be there as well. They're going to be set up and you can get stuff from Revzilla. There's so much more I can't even go into here. Drop by the website, have a look. Revzilla.com forward slash ADV hyphen fest. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard about it here on Adventure Rider Radio. By the way, the link is also on our website. So if you're not riding with the Atlas throttle lock, then you're, you're definitely missing out. This was invented by Heidi and David Winters from necessity while they were traveling around the world in their KTM. The Atlas throttle lock is a thing of beauty, but it works more importantly, it works like clockwork. Uh, first, it mounts in your handlebars in minutes, and then you're looking at two buttons, one for engage, one for disengage, smooth and firm, and you know right away, this is a high-quality machined part. But when you're riding, that's where the, where, the, where the unit really shines. I use mine all the time. And even on shorter trips, I used to, like I've, I've had throttle locks for years. I used to use them on longer stretches, but this one's so easy to use. It works so well that I use it all the time, even on short runs. You can adjust the throttle without disengaging. There's one button for engage, one button for disengage. Firm, solid buttons, just like you would expect uh, on, on a quality item. AtlasThrottleLock.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Okay, well, that, that's amazing. So, so the original one's based on laws of physics, which I guess is rudimentary in, in comparison to what it is now. Now you've compiled all this data from all the riders that have ridden and, and crashed and had and get-offs and whatnot, and you're modifying the algorithm all the time. That, that's amazing use of technology. How do you know if you have a crash and it doesn't inflate? Are you, are you relying on the user to you know, send you an email and say, hey, this didn't work? <laughs> Yes, of course, in some, in some case. Uh, so we are going back to the analog again. <laughs> yeah. And, when, the, when the digital and, fails, it takes the analog call to tell you, hey, it failed. You need to, to, to change something uh, here. Of course, because, yeah. you know, when we speak about even autonomous driving today, um, the, uh, the Teslas are driving quite well in, in many situations, but it's still in some case, human beings are better. I mean, mm-hmm. we are, the, a human body is a tremendous machine. <laughs> just, it just, every time we try to, to benchmark and to, 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 uh, to copy uh, the, this machine, uh, we are starting from very from, from far away from, from what we do. But um, we are collecting data which are anonymous. And I think that's quite important also to say that we don't use those, those data to Let's say if you if you regularly drive close to a Honda workshop, we are not going to start to send you emails to say, hey, you should stop to these Honda shops because there is nice bikes. Hang on, Jeff. I want to talk about that. But first, I have something else I want to ask you about, and then we'll get into data because I think that is very important that we cover this. Okay. It is a question I have for you. It's on my mind. 
But the other thing I was going to ask is about the data that you are collecting, the type of data you're collecting. You, you mentioned that if you have a, a crash, when it doesn't go off, obviously you don't really know that. You're going to have to get that analog message from the person. And then you got to go and try and match it up, I guess, I'm assuming, to find that time. How, how do you possibly do that with the information from that person's vest? In other words, I'm riding down the road. Um, I go down. It doesn't go off in whatever situation. I let you know that I that this has happened. Now, what do you do from there to find out what went wrong or not what wrong, but what you can improve? The key when you work on data is to labelize data. So what you're going to tell us is to put a flag. You can imagine that the data is just a, a list of figures in a huge Excel file. And mm-hmm. we will just say that in this line, so because we have a line every milliseconds, in this line, we put the flag, it was a crash. So the beauty is to have a lot of data, but to have a clean and labelized data. So when, when you told us that you crashed, we are going to, uh, we have a customer care that take your name and say that this, this name, I mean, Jim, had a crash this day at roughly this hour. And that's it. And the, the customer care does not, does not have access to the data. But there is a link in our software that your name is linked to your inbox. And there is a crypted um, uh, transcription between two, ex- two distinct databases that make the link between an inbox and the data collected. So automatically, we will, we will, we will uh, labelize the data. But if you don't even call us and say, I, I, I crashed, we can find after that there, was, there were a situation. I will tell you easily how. As when we are running our algorithm on the existing database, uh, existing data we have collected since the beginning, if we just decrease the threshold of triggering crash situations, that's where we see some new cases pop up. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's where we see, and, aha, and then we, as we have the GPS coordinate, plus we have the speed, we have the, uh, the accelerate, G-force and stuff like this, we can replay the movie of the crash. So when we, we, we have a new flag that is that appear from our um, uh, data science, we check this case and say, okay, let's try to understand what happened in the last five seconds before what we have identified as potentially a crash, but nobody told us that it was a crash. And sometimes it's, well, it's not a crash. It's easy to see because you can see that the speed is going down after very fast. Or sometimes you can easily see that it's a crash. Like you know, someone lose the front skins and end up in a... In a in the field, the speed was 20, was very slow, and the, the, the crash was smooth. But you can see that the guys after remains uh, uh, remain, uh, leaning on the ground for like 10 seconds, and then you, we can detect uh, behavior. So we see, okay, the, 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 the speed decrease is too fast to be a, a, a braking situation. And then the situation of, I was riding a bike, speed decrease very fast, leaning situation, then walking situation, we have a high level of presumption that it was a crash. Wow, that's incredible. So you don't need the analog part of it. Okay, that's that's interesting to note. Now, I, the other thing is, I was wondering is with this data you're collecting, you're, you're you're looking for those anomalies that are showing you, as you said, you in the software. I assume you're show, you're lowering the the um, the threshold, and those things are are all of a sudden those uh, I call them peaks, for instance, uh, that would be standing out to you, and you can analyze those. Are you also collecting just regular ride data to get a better idea of of how people ride, so you have a picture of what is normal? I mean, we have um, an accuracy and a level of, um, of uh, can I say, d- details, which is very high and which is required to take the decision of inflation at the right time. Um, so 
until now, uh, let's say until last year, we were really focusing on improve, using the data to improve our, our detection strategies. So covering all crash situations and infl inflating at the right time. Because imagine if we inflate the airbags after the second impact, <laughs> okay, we have inflated, but by much too, much too late. Um, so sometimes it's not only detecting the crashes, being ready to say, okay, the crash was there, the impact was there. But if we inflate the airbags after the first impact, we already lost the chance of production. So, so that's where we were focusing on. But now we 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 try to make some. We try to try. We, let's say we try to make the data speak by by itself about the motorcycle behaviors. For example, I am um, uh, one of the cobai. Let's say uh, the testers for, for from for the engineering team, and we have. A, a bench of in-end members, what we call the in-motion users, the in-end members, which have declared that they are very happy to contribute to the, to the development of the product, so that are sharing the data to the to the engineering team. And my my uh, my partners told me that I have breaking habits which are quite aggressive compared to the rest of the community. <laughs> Every time I break, <laughs> it seems that I'm breaking quite strong. I have a, uh, right now I'm riding a R90 BMW with a, with a big Brembo brakes at the front and it's a bike which is known to break very to have a kind of on-off braking systems and we can see it into my driving style. So but that's that's today the the very beginning of this and and for example, we we, are, we don't have any interest to rank that uh, riding styles because we just want to say is maybe in the future, and that's what we are pursuing, is you will get your, your systems from the shop, which is exactly the same from, from someone else, but the system will fine-tune some triggers by learning from your riding style. So that's that's not what you are doing, what we are doing today, to be very honest, but that's what we want to do in the future. So the vest becomes truly yours in the future. The, your, your, your plan is the vest becomes truly you, yours by learning your personal riding style. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, Pef, when it comes to data collection, now you, you, you started to talk about that. Data collection is a huge thing nowadays, of course, with the internet and, and with everything else that's collecting our data and storing it and uploading it. When you're collecting data about our ride, uh, you're collecting, uh, from what I understand, uh, our position and then, of course, our speed and, and various other things, but our, our GPS position. So, in other words, you could tell, you know, like you mentioned, if, if we stopped at a at a cafe or if we stopped at a store or, or where we went in, there's a lot of tracking going on there. How do you protect that data or how do you protect the user of that vest from that data being used improperly? Yeah, excellent question. Key question nowadays. Uh, in introduction, two things. First one is you can, ex from the beginning of your in your journey at, as uh, InMotion users, you can uh, say, I don't want to share my data and we are not going to collect and to uh, save your data. Uh, so, so that's the first thing. So you can opt out right off the bat. Yeah, you can say, I use the systems, but I want to don't want to share the data. The only consequence of this is in case of a crash situations, if something went wrong, you can't um, you can't complain against InEmotion because we don't have any chance to check what happens to our systems because we agree not to collect your data. So, is there not a way at that point to upload it? You know, like with some things that if you, something goes wrong, you can send in the latest data? 
Oh, if if you told you ask us not to get the data, we say okay, we don't get any of your data and ne- never. Oh, so it's not <laughs> so recorded. It's not like it's recorded locally yeah, and yeah, sitting yeah, there. Yeah, because yeah. with a lot of things like your computer, for instance, you cannot upload the data. But if it crashes, that data is there and you can send it up. But what you're saying is, if you opt out, it's not being recorded even on your own device. Yeah, yeah, we have okay. the systems that get the memory clean uh, with with some um, some routine. That's true so, privacy. Yeah. That, that's totally true privacy. Nobody's going to get mm-hmm. that vest off you after an accident and say, "Hey, what was Jim riding like at that time?" If I didn't want it. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's important. So that's the first point: is you you you, you still have the freedom. Um, the second is at the end we are not going to take more data than than Google is taking when you you are using uh, Google Map or even Waze or those software. Mm. Um, we are taking, uh, uh, of course, the GPS coordinates, uh, uh, but in terms of of um, of kinetics data, they are very interesting to analyze the movement, but they give you not any information about what what are you doing. Instead of okay, you were riding a bike or maybe walking, but that's it. But, so but you will get speed and things like that, and breaking G's and the G force. Yeah, yeah, exactly, ex- exactly, and the same kind of information that uh, the smartphone are, are taking in terms of GPS, maybe a bit more precise and accurate, of course, in terms of of G force and breaking. I agree. Um, so all those data are encrypted into the Indian box, and if someone tried to uh, to, to uh, hack the Indian box, of course, as you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, um, uh, 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 that encrypted data are predicted until someone managed to get to uh, to open to open it and to kill, sure. uh, to kill the, the, <laughs> so the there's a breach, so, of course. Yes. Um, so so all the data is encrypted. Uh, today our systems is uh, is using a micro USB. So you can try to connect your micro USB systems to your laptop. You may see uh, a, an equivalent of a USB key, like a folder and and such that. And if you start to uh, if you, you can open very small file that you get some some few figures, and if you are a bit a good guys, you can guess some stuff. But there is figures that are uh, I'm not giving any very uh, critical informations. But the real data you can't have access to it. I mean, you have access to data that means nothing because they are encrypted. From them, they upload to our servers. Um, once again, we are using uh, uh, protected servers. Uh, and uh, to, to avoid any risk of, uh, of third parties hacking. And the data which is on the servers is related to an Indian box, but ne- never to a name. So if someone come on, on our servers and collect all the data, he will have a great list of data with a great list of numbers. And then he needs to make the connection between these numbers to, to, a, to, a, to a person, to, a, to, to, to someone. And that's two different databases. Okay, you did mention that um, if I crashed, for instance, I could contact you and say, hey, I crashed, and you can go back and connect that somehow. Um, Mm. That connection that you make there, now I'm assuming these are in two different places, and it takes you to initiate the connection. You sort of need both Mm. things, right? Mm. Mm. Okay, so what happens if somebody knocks on your door and says, you know, I have a warrant for um, the information to find out just how this person was riding at the time of the crash. The legalities have have got to the point where it's going to court and they're demanding that you supply the information that may or may not incriminate the rider um, in that instance. We had this already, uh, this situation one time. So if the users uh, decide not to share the data or if the data was still not shared from the in-inbox, we have nothing on our servers. That's the first thing important to understand. 
if the Indian box was broken or lost or whatever during the crash, once again, it, the data may be on the memory of the Indian box, but the, the, the Indian box is not sharing and uploading live the data. You need to connect it to a Wi-Fi, uh, which is registered. So you may write for two months without sharing with us our data if, we, if you don't let the Indian box connect to a, um, an approved and certified Wi-Fi. Well, that's interesting. So let me just interrupt you. Sorry. But, so that, that vest has to go back to your home and connect to your Wi-Fi, ideally, if that's where you've set it up or maybe if you did it at work. But wherever you've set it up, it's not going to log on to anyone else's. No, it's, exactly. And it's not using I mean, your cell phone. When you onboard with 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 Inemotion, when you onboard, we ask uh, you to to choose your to create your account, to to pair your smartphone to your inbox, and to teach your inbox to maybe your own Wi-Fi and your office Wi-Fi's. Do you give just two? And from then, you know, every time you will recharge your inbox in the environment on one of those Wi-Fi, it will download. For the rest of the time, it will just recharge and that's it. Okay, so so, so we haven't lost our, our train of thought here, Like, so I haven't messed you up here. So what we're saying is at this point there, you're suggesting that if somebody had a crash, that data likely has not been uploaded yet. And then you've yep. got the request for the data. Yeah, and you can. And, and the best example is every time someone crash and call us and say, "Hey, I crash, can I, I get my data?" We first ask, "Did you have the time to to pair it with the Wi-Fi?" Oh no, okay, well please do it. Um, so yes, that situation that we just had to be very uh, f transparent is uh, we may use the smartphones to send uh, a very small quantity of data just at the crash. For example, now in France we are using the smartphone as an equal activator. So when you crash, we had an inflation, directly the inbox send the message to the smartphone and say, hey, I had a crash, and the smartphone send the message in your GPS coordinate to an equal uh, rescue uh, service that di directly drive the, uh, the rescue teams to, uh, on the place where you, where you crashed. So in this case, yes, we can directly send the data, but the data is... Uh, I mean, the connection with the, between the smartphone and the inbox is using Bluetooth, and Bluetooth is a, is a protocol which is... Uh, in terms of, of data sharing, in terms of weight of data sharing, very, very low. So we just send a, a few few information, such as GPS coordinate, and yes, we inflate, and that's it. Okay, but so now you still have the request for data. Um, now, could they not say, hey, we're going to send you the vest. We want you to take the vest yeah. and and pull that data out and tell us what, what was Jim doing when this happened? So we had this case once, um, and there was a letter from the users that were that's, that told us that we had the right to do it because it was to protect himself. Mm. Um, so uh, it was easier for us in this case because we knew it was for the benefit of our member. But once again, the data we are collecting are basically to detect a crash situation, not to exactly know how you ride and how to brake and stuff like this. And for example, the speed we are measuring uh, as a risk of a mistake, which can be around plus minus 15 miles per hour, even sometimes plus minus 20 if you are in a, uh, in a forest or very close to a cliff. Uh, that's also why we don't use GPS as a major parameter for inflations. We use more to, re to replace the crash afters. So the data generated by the Indian box are in terms of, let's say, a, a rarent or laws or litigation are, are I would say, quite um, not so much accurate. 
But potentially, though, um, you know, and I don't want to harp on this point, but I think it's very important. Potentially, you are somewhat exposed there. If there was something, if it was a major crash and something happened, there is the potential. And of course, everybody's getting, you know, more more and more uh, up to speed, uh, so to speak, on technology and understanding this. And once the vests become more common, which they are, then insurance company may be looking for that immediately and say, hey, let, let's look at this and just see. So potentially we're exposed there, though, if you get an official request. I mean, you don't have any sort of legal stance where you can say, no, you know, you don't, you don't have any legal loophole to, to refuse the data. We are, we are exactly like any companies which are getting this data. So we will, we will avoid to communicate to anyone the data unless we got, uh, let's say, uh, I guess you say warrant, I know exactly the English word, I guess it's a... Right, right. So some sort of legal request. Yeah. But but the same could be like, I mean, I know know it's not the same because I know you're collecting things like G-Force and and things like that with definitely a lot more data. But I mean, your cell phone potentially could be the same thing. They could also request information from that, which would definitely show your speed. Yeah, exactly. That's why I I say um, um, the G-Force and stuff like this and only can be analyzed by us. And we are not going to to tell more than if at this time you were also using... uh, uh, Google Map, then Google is in uh, is having the same information that we have. Right. So if the if a company or if a, if a uh, a legal uh, representation came to you and said, "Look, you you need to give us this data," are you obligated, or would you help um, aggregate that data and and break it down, or would you just give them raw numbers and say, "Hey, that's all I'm obligated to do"? Second, uh, the second option. I mean, we will do the less yeah. we can to respect the law, of course, because right. <laughs> we have to. Uh, unless, as the first, the first and unique case we had today, it was uh, supporting the supporting the the, the the case. And you know, um, on this very uh, conscious case, because I'm riding my I'm riding with my systems, my friends, my motorcycle friends are riding with the system. So you can imagine that uh, the roads around the French Alps are very nice, <laughs> and sometimes the speeds uh, depends on the way you drive. Mm-hmm. If I can, say, if I may say. Um, uh, I, I have I have investigating the situation for 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 cars today in Europe and not exactly the laws in the US but in Europe every cars sold now for three years have a data logger with the speed we, we nobody is aware of this but every cars and for example Porsche and Audi decide not not to share the data so they pay a fine instead of sharing the data on the opposite Volvo Volvo is sharing every time the data to the police they even give the access. Uh, they even give um, I get a portal to the policemen uh, to access directly to the Volvo uh, cars. So it's really a strategy between companies, a, a position. At Inemotion, we are very clear. We want to respect the law. But first of all, we are there to let people, to, to improve the freedom of people. For us, protecting people during movement is improving the freedom of people. So if we start to play with the data, we just reduce this freedom that's not in line with our vision. Pef, you you want to be careful. You're riding R90 and you're doing hard braking. <laughs> they they start collecting and sharing your data. Your insurance company is going to be sending you an email saying, Pef, uh, your rates. We need to talk." I honestly I hope this will never happen or not yeah. too soon. Uh, but on the other side, you know, my father, for example, is riding by motorcycles and, and cars, and uh, he's really the type of guys that respect the laws and drive slow and so on. So this, we have a bunch of consumer. Uh, of of members that would be happy to share the data in exchange of getting discount on their product and on their insurance premium. 
So mm -hmm. there is this this amount of guys that are in this there in in this uh, spirit, and there is others like I am that I I, I want to share a, a least amount of data and I want to do what I want to do for myself and not let people do knows what I'm doing. So mm -hmm. for for us the choice is in the nature, and we want anyone to have the choice, and we have today some good deals with insurance companies. And the good thing is those insurance companies which are supporting the the, 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 the price without like getting discount on the price of our airbags for their own customers are not even asking their customers if they have a crash, if they were wearing the airbags. So I am an insurance. I support you as a motorcyclist to buy an airbags. And if you crash and if you get injured, I don't even ask you if you were wearing the airbags. Wow. So I think that's very fair. That's, that's, that's a good way we see the stuff. There, there's even, a, there's, I know there's a, a company, at least one that I know of, that is, um, has an app, an insurance company. This is for driving cars, where it does just like what you were talking about with your dad. It, 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 what you do is you put the app on and you drive around. In particular, I think if you're a new customer, and if you choose to, you don't have to, but um, to show what you drive like, and they give you the discount. That's already happening. So I know someone who has that. Yeah. So we can choose, we can, we can opt out of the data and nothing goes up and that way that protects us from the data. But on the other side, when you're, when you're allowing the data to upload, I think it's very cool that everyone is putting in information that's going to help and make this system better. So, so your data that you're uploading is not only making your ride safer tomorrow or next year, but everyone's ride. And that's, that's a it's really neat collaborative thing for a, a private company. Yeah, and that's why we used to call the uh, users the members because um, they are part of a global community, uh, what we call, we used to say, a nation of riders that are all bringing their experience. And I don't know if you remember the movie Matrix with Kenny Reeves. Um, uh, this movie where a guy is, uh, is living in a kind of computer world and uh, is able to is able to download. Uh, a way to to um, to to drive an helicopter to pilot an helicopter in in uh, in one second just to download to his brain, and for us it's more or less the same as you it, if today you buy a, a client vest using the Animotion airbag systems and you put it on and you have the last versions on your back you have an a systems that is excellent in terms of crash detections because all the this experience. And let's imagine that, as we have we have done during Dakar race, Dakar race this year, airbag were mandatory. We had uh, a huge quantity of crash, and on 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 a tricky situations, you know, Dakar is in, in rally is probably one of the most extreme one with PG, maybe Baja 1000 and stuff like this. And from what we learned in Dakar, few weeks later, we were able to transfer and download all those learnings to all the community. So I think it's a it's a, it's a very interesting and uh, and that's today something which is quite unique with the Inemotion uh, way to design the system. You mentioned already about the adventure mode. I know that's a new mode that's just come out that you can set and, and you have an app on your phone where you can talk to your your vest, your Inemotion vest, and your and your climb uh, vest, and tell it that you want to go to adventure mode. And and get offs are as we mentioned, or you know they're very common. These canisters are are easy to change, but they're about, uh, from what I understand, $100 each. So how much of a crash is it going to take? I mean, if, if I'm going along at, you know, uh, 10, five or 10 kilometers an hour, you know, or six, uh, six miles, uh, yeah, six miles an hour, something like that. If I was, and, uh, and I sort of tip over and flop over, can I expect it to go off? 
that's um, that's the key questions. Uh, that's what people is used to asking many times. When does the systems inflate? Uh, basically, for in, in the adventure mode, we have uh, set up a threshold, uh, which we don't have for other uh, use uh, on the on the speed. So below um, 20 kilometers, uh, there is very few chances for the airbag to deploy. It would it would it would means that the crash was very severe even at this at this speed. Um, and maybe if we see in the future that we have a, a lot of of, of uh, feedbacks, as you say, from from users, hey, Pef, uh, I had a crash and it was at 18 kilometers, and I think would have been better if the airbag deployed. We can re we can re uh, reset this this uh, this limit. But today we have this threshold limit and saying that below 20, no inflation, basically, if I mm. if I make it simple. Oh, so that's really cool. So, so if, you, if I owned a vest today and I'm saying to you, you know, and a, and a bunch of people are saying, hey, this is going off and, it, and uh, or, or this didn't go off rather, you know, I, I think it should have went off at this speed. You guys can dial that threshold back, do whatever changes you need. And then you put out the update for everybody. And my vest is now with the new threshold. Exactly. Wow. You know, that's amazing. That's incredible stuff. You know, the data collection, you know, on one hand is always, uh, at least from some perspectives, can be scary. Think of collecting data. But on the other hand, there's so much that you seem to be able to do with it. The possibilities are, they just seem endless with it. Yeah, that's what is, but it makes our, our daily jobs motivated. <laughs> motivating. <laughs> so if, if we're going to travel with this now, a lot of adventure riders travel. They, they'll go from country to country, uh, continent to continent. If you're traveling, now I understand that the way this works is there's a subscription here. So when I buy the vest, if I go and get a new vest now, uh, I'm told it comes with a brain already there that I install. And then I choose whether I'm going to rent it from you or buy it outright. Now, let's just say in the rental scheme where I'm paying you a monthly fee for this thing to operate, um, which, by the way, I'm assuming is, is offsetting the, the overall cost of this, correct? Uh, what do you mean by offsetting? Well, uh, I'm saying the subscription fee. Like, why? Why not? Why wouldn't I just buy it? Why wouldn't I just uh, buy the thing and and um, and just pay for it outright? I mean, why the rental option? That's um, once again. That's our, our, our vision. Is um, we want anyone to have uh, suitable, affordable, and uh, and efficient systems. And in the affordable questions, it was a fight in our in in our in our mind in our brains between having proposing the best product that require R&D investment and high technology that cost a lot to produce a system and all the other side to make it affordable. Right. Okay. Our so. first our first ski vest cost was was sold at fifteen hundred dollars. At how much? Fifteen hundred. Wow. One thousand five hundred. Mm-hmm. The POC vest and I I think it's, there is still some remaining on the internet somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so at this price, we, we had the chance to to to, uh, to let uh, regular updates and including including in the in the first price the price of paying engineers, data data scientists, biomechanicians working for five five years and uh, keep on upgrading the systems. We were able to guarantee this, but this price was by far too high. I mean, for at least for some motorcyclists. Mm-hmm. So we decided to, to decrease this pricing and divide the product into two parts. The first part is the garments. The garments is, is provided by Climb, integrating our airbag module. The airbag module is basically the airbag cushion plus what you call in the canister, we call it the inflator, uh, and a back protector, and a, a, a systems that connect all together. This is a garment. 
And on the other side, you have the in box. So what we said, uh, the mission control unit or the brain. This in box is exactly the same for any in-emotion systems, whatever is the brand. So for example, if you are uh, if you are riding on road with uh, uh, with Harley, uh, let's say Street Glide, and you are doing off-road with a KTM, you can have two products, like one climb vest and one another. Um, I would say leather uh, jacket and using only one in box. So, and as it's the most expensive part of the product, first that's quite clever to remove it and to make it uh, versatile. Then you have two choices: you want to buy it and you want to own it, or you want to, in a way, rent it. So, the, when you buy it, it's what we call the regular offer. When you get it from from the in the parcel with the rest of the with the garments and. When you download the app to create your account, you have this choice when you are creating your InMotion account to buy straight away for $3.99 or to go for the revolution deals, which are at $12 or $120 a year, $12 a month, $120 a year. And what the way did we do this? The question was, in these situations, first, it makes the product quite accessible for people that want to have less cash upfront. Uh, once again, the full pack for 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 a climb vest would would be at seven hundred and ninety nine. So that's part of that's a piece of uh, of, of of crash. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you just leave the shop with three ninety nine and you pay you pay uh, twelve dollars a month. You want to stop riding? You can stop riding and you just send the inbox back to us. You want to suspend for during the winter? The twelve dollars come to come to four and that's it. But more than more than nothing, the fact that it's a safety device. We got the feedback from a lot of users that, as a, as a bike, as a motorcycle, you want you want to own it. That's yours, and that's like my R90. I made a lot of tunings uh, to look a cafe racer style. So that's my motorcycle. It's not some for someone else, and I want to own it. But for the event box, it's just an electronic device. So uh, unless big fans of Inemotion, you don't have any. Any uh, any linked with this? You just want this to save your life and yeah, to you, be. You're not in love the with the, the electronic box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, exactly. Yeah, yeah, So no. so what do we guarantee? We just say in those when you go for the revolution mode and you pay monthly or yearly, if you have any troubles, any problems in five years, we change it for you because that's it remains our systems. So you just pay for something which is good today and better tomorrow. So, but but after five years, do you own it? at that point or how does that work no uh, there is two possibilities uh, or you keep it and you pay every month uh, let's say until uh, you don't ride motorcycles in this there is something behind is we are going to replace it uh, when it comes too old and we have a major gap between the different products we have in mind it's like or you pay you pay your ipad air 2 right now and in, and in five years, Apple is going to say, now you can't download any more apps because the, uh, the, this iPad is too old. I have the, iPad, the iPad one and it's, it's working perfectly. The battery is fine, but the store is dead and you, can't, you, you, you just can't go on the internet. That's it, no more. Or on the other side, you just told Apple, I want to pay every month the same fee, but every time I want to have the best uh, uh, iPad available. And... So that's the idea. So every, I can't say exactly uh, today uh, because we are working on this plan for the end of the year, 
But I would say every four to five years, we are going to replace uh, your in-end box because probably we have a new generations that are pushing the limit of into the the, 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 the calculation of, of the and, and the and the, um, the accuracy of the sensors, potentially also increasing the battery life and stuff like this. So you know you pay every every month the same fee, and you know you have always the best vest. It's not like your friend just bought the vest from a shop and you feel, oh, now I have the last generations mm -hmm. and I'm sure I'm not, uh, in the same crash, I'm not sure I'm going to be protected the same way. Okay, so so let me swing back to where I was headed with this. Um, so it, people traveling on, on adventure motorcycles wearing your vest and they go to another country. Now, if they're on the subscription model where the um, subscription is paid monthly, on a monthly basis, and you're in foreign countries, you don't have um, any connection with Wi-Fi, you're not connecting, you know, month after month after month. Does it work that there's a time limit where this vest has to check in through data to, to ensure its subscription, to ensure it's valid every, you know, so many days? Or, or how do you cancel it if somebody stops paying for it if they're off of line? Does the vest still work? A lot of questions there. So, um for the for the uh, annual for the yearly uh, subscriptions we just need to be in touch with our inbox once a year and uh, more than just informing the inbox that uh, uh, her uh, its owner is paying uh, the membership it's also to be sure that we don't have an inbox which is uh, not up, up to date we, we are pushing updates every two to three months so if you stay one year without connecting your in box, you are you may be, you you may miss four or five updates of the firmware, which is which is let's say um, uh, too bad because you may crash and may have a, not a perfect prediction that you could have if you have done your your uh, your updates. So that's why we ask our users please once a year at least connect your in box. If you have uh, decided to go for the a subscription mode and pay monthly. Then in this case we need at least one month, uh, every month, just a connection from the smartphones to download the, the information to the in box that everything is fine. Uh, but in case that something is wrong, I can tell you that there is a lot of of LED sign, then um, a message on the on the app and emails and few stuff that says that oh something is wrong, you need to connect your in box until we stop these systems and we never stop the system wh while you are riding. So if someone today starts driving his motorcycles and, and is able to drive for 100 years, he will get an, an airbag for free for 100 years. <laughs> well, so there's some long-distance riders out there might take you up on that. <laughs> 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 but okay, I see. So so you're going to have to check in monthly is, is basically what you're going to do. You're going to have to check in. And you mentioned the, the phone. Now, and, and we talked about the vest connecting to Wi-Fi. Will it so if I'm traveling in, in in South America or something and and I manage to have a, a SIM card for my phone? Is that enough to connect the vest? Yeah, it can be your phone, or it can be when you arrive at the hotel and you just use the Wi-Fi of the hotel. Um, today, we, you know, we have, as I was mentioning, thirty thousand um, users worldwide, and we have people are when I check the data are doing very great great trips. We have great trips in Russia. We have a, we have a very nice trace in in, in Africa. And uh, we never faced any issue uh, with, with those guys. So I think you, in a month, uh, or even if you go for the yearly uh, subscriptions, in a year you always find a place where you can download the last uh, the last updates from Wi-Fi or from your smartphone. You have the choice. 
Wow. 30,000 users. You said tens of millions of miles, 1,500 crashes. I think you said mm. 20 million miles or something like that. It's just incredible mm. amount of, uh, of use already. I want to ask you about the, the gas that you're using. What gas is it that you're using and, uh, and is it uh, affected with flights? In other words, will I be able to get on a plane, fly my bike somewhere and be able to take that with me? So the, the, the what we, what you call a key, the canister is uh, you know you know welding in inflator. Uh, the inflator are a piece that we have um, adapted from the automotive industry. We are supplied by the biggest uh, airbag for uh, for cars uh, in the world, um, and they are con- they, they contain uh, helium, argon, and CO two plus some some magic stuff that I can't disclose. <laughs> ah. um, so this. Uh, Argon helium CO2 mix enable to have an inflation speed, whatever is the temperature, let's say between minus 40 degrees up to 80 degrees Celsius. Sorry uh, for the conversion in Fahrenheit. <laughs> I need to double check. Um, so so it's, a, it's a very reliable inflator systems. In terms of flight, which is an excellent question. Um, so today our systems can uh, fly uh, in check. Uh, we advise our users to put it in check luggage, uh, so you don't have any any questions. And we propose a paper that you can print and you put with your vest. So in case of the like in the US, the TSA is controlling your your suitcase during a connecting flight, and they don't even uh, uh, ask you what is inside. They find a paper that explains what it is. Oh, I see. And if you, and what what do we use? We just use the fact that our, our airbag systems are considered as a life vest, and you all know that in planes there is life vest. And if you check the regulations, I'm not an expert, but it seems that you can say that you don't believe, you don't trust into the life vest of the company, so you can bring in a plane your own life vest. Mm. I think I, 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 to 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 be double checked, but in some cases. So, for example, I've been traveling to, to the U.S. many times. We, we've been to the CES in Las Vegas uh, with our systems. And, yeah, you can you can fly with them, but please just put the paper that tells to uh, anyone at the customs what it is, and it, sh- and it should be fine. The only, let's say, small stars I have to mention there is uh, there is the IATA rules, so which is the International um, Aviation Association that gives some rules. But then every company can have rules which are more um, restrictive than the, the IATA. And even above this, a, a pilot can decide his own rule. So it's the only, let's say, situation where you may face someone that says, yes, you have the right, but in our company, we don't accept. You put your uh, your airbag vest into, uh, with you in the cabin, so please put it in the, in the check luggage. It can happen. So if I am traveling um, and I've got maybe a couple of canisters with me and I need to get one in, in a foreign country, how do I do that? That this is, I mean, I like the way you say you've got some special sauce in here that you don't disclose. That reminds me of, I think it's McDonald's, doesn't it? They have some sort of secret sauce or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but this canister has to come from you then. So how does somebody get it? Um, if you need to get a spare inflator, you can buy it into um, into uh, Climbs retailers. They have uh, spare parts with the right box, and in the box is also designed to be traveled, and it's written on the box that it's uh, air uh, compatible. Okay, so it's um, it's approved to be shipped by air. Makes sense. Pef, to, to wrap things up here, um, who do you think should ride with a vest, and, and what would you say to them? 
I mean, anyone that cares uh, about his life, <laughs> basically. Uh, we, um, when when uh, uh, the, the things that motivate us every day is when we got message from people that crashed and, and, and they feel like the airbags really saved them or prevent them to, to being injured. And what we learned from them, and we have a, a, a dedicated page on our website called Airbag Stories, and so, so people can, can find some real, real people testimonies, is that after a crash, if you can have the same life that you had before, that's what you wish. And when I say the same life, it can be the same life for the next 10 years, if, because you, you, we all know that some crash can be very severe and have very tough consequences. But also, it's sometimes it's the same life for the next five minutes. If you are a, a racer, the five next minutes, if you feel bad, just five minutes, it's enough to make you lost the race. So the way that you see the, the, the consequences of a crash depends on who you are. What is sure is you are always happy that the crash was like in the video games, like, oh, no, no consequences. Mm -hmm. My bike is okay. My body is okay. Mm -hmm. I can get up and, and, and keep on riding. So that's really what the, yeah, in, the in emotional bag is, is there. It's like, we all know that life is unpredictable. Riding a bike is, is a, as a part of unpredictability. And it's very hard to avoid uh, the risks and to, to be in a situation of zero risk. So as there is risk, okay, put all your chance on your side with this, pro with, with this production, which is by far the most efficient and the most innovative for motorcyclists in the next 50 years. I'm used to say that for, for me, the wear bags are the helmets of the 21th century. And, and to finish, um, we have designed our systems to be as comfortable as we can. Thus, that, that the best things you can tell us is, oh, I was just forgetting, I was wearing it. So at the end, except the fact that you have sooner or later to, to buy it, then when you use it and you just have to forget it, it, it's just part of your kit. You don't even care about it. You just have to recharge it once every 10 days or 15 days, depending on how much you ride. Then you just have to, you just put all your chance in case of crash for almost nothing. Pef, thank you very much for your time. I, I just, I love what you're doing. I think it's just great. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking to me about it. Well, it was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to, uh, to get some histories of, of travelers on the world that just say that uh, at the middle of, uh, uh, of uh, Vladivostok, <laughs> they crashed and the airbags <laughs> enabled them saved. to continue up to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And thanks for, your, for the talk. It was, was, was great. And uh, I hope uh, uh, anyone that was has the chance to listen, uh, find the information they were looking for. That was Pef Tissot, the co-founder of In In Motion, which has partnered with Climb to make that AI-1 air vest. Now, that, of course, was the electronic version of an air vest. There's also a mechanical version made by a well-known company called Helite. And I know you're going to think I'm making this up, but they're also in France. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, maybe we'll rip around the Eiffel Tower and go right back into France and pick it up with Helite. Stay with us. I'm sure just about everybody knows about LED lights by now, but do you have them on your bike? There's so many reasons to have them on your bike. Lower wattage draw, uh, freeing up power for other accessories like your heated jacket uh, or, or more lighting, not to mention the intensely bright instant-on lighting that LED does that commands attention from other riders and drivers on the road. See and be seen is the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, and they make incredible LED lights 
LED replacement headlights, auxiliary lighting, um, their, their Evo turn signal lightings, which I, I've told you about before, and so much more. Most of it's plug and play. They even make um, systems for the CAN bus uh, systems that they have in, on motorcycles now, the, the newer ones, BMWs, I think a lot of them do now, but they've got plug and play for that as well. Serious lighting from Cyclops Adventure Sports, which by the way, is a family owned and operated business by riders just like you and I. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is a website. Have a look, get yourself some LED lights. And don't forget, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. Well, if those are the stock pegs on your bike, you're likely missing out on one of the best mods you're going to do for your bike. And that's installing a set of IMS Products foot pegs. IMS Products got their start way back in 1976, making tough quality parts for racers. And over that time, just about every off-road racer has at least one IMS product on their bike. Racers demand quality, and you should as well. IMS has a full line of foot pegs for us adventure motorcyclists. They're designed specifically for adventure riding. They're all made in the USA, all with cast-certified stainless steel, all warranted for life. The website, imsproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. I'm uh, Gerard Tevenot from France. Uh, I'm an engineer for fluid mechanics and I've had uh, for 40 years a company uh, manufacturing uh, hang gliders, ultralights, uh, all uh, these kind of uh, flying machines. It's a sport in which we had a lot of accidents and I wanted to develop something to protect our friends, customers. And uh, so uh, in 2002, I started to research developing uh, airbags systems. But uh, very quickly, I found out that there were much more fatalities, accidents, uh, injuries in motorcycling than in uh, ultralights, hang gliders, paragliders. And so it had more sense to spend uh, money, investment, time, uh, to save more people in motorcycling than uh, in uh, ultralights. Now, um, you, you've so you started. You started Hellite. Is that how I say it? Hellite. Yeah, yeah. Depends or, in which country. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be Helite. Helite is Helite is fine as English in English. Helite. Yeah. Okay, Helite. So when you started back in two thousand two, I think it was two thousand two. Yes. There, there were no other air vests like this for motorcyclists. There was a, a few uh, patents of people, you know, you can uh, you can have a patent without producing. And there was uh, a few attempts, but it was not, was not developed at all. Uh, and in 2002, we didn't put our product on the market. We also uh, set up a few, few patents and it took a few years before uh, uh, having something uh, really usable for, uh, for motorcyclists. So with the with the air vest, I think most of us understand that air vest is something you're going to put on. Maybe it's inside a jacket, but I think a lot of people, most everyone, is probably understands what airbags are on cars, at least on a basic level. But when it comes to motorcycling, this vest, what's the concept, and what is it supposed to do for the rider? The big difference between a a car and a motorcycle. Uh, most of the time you will leave your, motor your motorcycle if you have an accident. So if you have the airbag which is fixed on the motorcycle, like it is fixed in a car, it wouldn't work because it will not protect you uh, 
95% of the accidents, you will hit something once you are aware of the, of the bike. So you need something which is fixed on your body. And the best thing to fix something on your body to have it included in a, in a vest or in a jacket. So is it doing something like similar to what your protective gear is that you already have in your, in your jacket? In other words, your padded shoulders and your, and your back pad, is it taking that to another level or does it even do more? No, it, it does much more because you kind of easily understand that, uh, if you fall on a, on an air mattress, uh, it's much softer than if you fall on a, one centimeter, two centimeter uh, foam. Mm. So we are much more efficient with the with the airbag. It 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 could work if you uh, if you were riding with the airbag already inflated. You know, it would give you a good uh, would give you a good protection, but it would be very uh, uncomfortable, not aerodynamic at all. Would looks funny. So the the, <clears throat> the the good compromise is to have it to have your your protection, which is folded. And when you need it, you inflate it. So how exactly does this work? So you're wearing the vest. Sorry, can you walk through sort of step by step what happens? Yeah, well, an airbag is, uh, is composed of, if you want an airbag, an airbag to work, first you need to detect the accident. This is a very important part. Then you need a gas generator. And then you need the vest itself with the airbag fitted inside. So it's different technologies. Uh, detection of the accident could be mechanical. For example, you have a, a lanyard, a tethered, which is a, a, attached to the motorcycle. And in case, in case of accident, you are, you are uh, leaving the saddle very quickly. It's pulling a trigger, which is opening a, a cartridge and it inflates the airbag. Another system to detect the accident is to have a sensors on the bike, electronical sensors, accelerometers, gyros, uh, GPS uh, set on the bike and on, on the vest. And we will analyze the motion or the shock which are on the bike, on the vest, and we analyze this with a microprocessor and algorithm. And if we detect an accident, then we decide to trigger. This is the first step. Uh, being able to determine if we have an accident or if we're just uh, hitting a, a pit hole in, in the road or whatever. Uh, second thing, you need a very good uh, compressed uh, gas to inflate the jacket. And then you need uh, an ergonomic jacket in which you want to protect the most important uh, organs, neck, back spine, heart, arterial, and uh, uh, upper abdomen. So th what happens is then you, you're, you hit something, or, or at least it's detected that you're having a get-off. The gas inflates, as you said, uh, inflates the vest. Then it's going to protect you when you hit the ground. So can you talk about that? Uh, it's more, more than hitting the ground. It's... Uh, Quite often you will eat a car or you will eat a, a tree by the side of the road or you will, you will eat a, a pool. You know, there's a lot of uh, signs, especially in, uh, in the cities, you have a lot of uh, urban obstacles around. So once it's inflated, uh, you're going to hit these obstacles with your airbag inflated and it reacts 
as if you, as if you had a, an air mattress between the obstacle and your body. It acts, it acts to uh, absorb the energy, but also we designed the airbag in order to avoid the uh, uh, flexion, uh, a high flexion of the body. If you have a very strong flexion of your back spine, you might break it not by, the, by crashing it, but by overbending. This is especially the case for the neck. We have, a, we have a, an ace break which is inflating under the helmet. So you cannot move the head backward or sideward. It avoids a whiplash effect. So it's not only absorbing the energy, but avoiding to have overflexion of, of the back spine. Mm. So not just um, padding on you that you're getting, the padding with the air, you're, you're getting rigidity from this thing. It's actually holding you in, in, a, in a safer position. Uh, that, that's interesting. So how much protection does, does this actually add to us? Is there a percentage or, or how does that work? Yeah, it would be, it would not be fair to give you a, to, to tell you if you use an airbag, uh, we will reduce your risk by, by uh, 90% or 50%. Every accident is, uh, is, uh, is different. Uh, what we can say is if you compare uh, heat with the foam, two centimeters, you know, the certified back, uh, back protectors, mm-hmm. uh, if you hit these back protectors without the airbag, or if you hit it with an airbag behind, it's tend to the, the, the impact on the body is reduced used by uh, more than 90%. Oh, wow. If, okay. you have a, if, you, if you have a heat of 100 kilogram, it's going to be 10 kilogram with the airbag. But uh, uh, the, the, this, is, this is a general. Uh, when we hit the airbag with a, a 13 centimeter diameter impactor, uh, the, if you have a sh- very sharp object or a very wide object, the difference will be different. So are, are there any sort of statistics overall that say that, um, you know, this group, have, since they've been riding with an air vest, uh, reduced uh, injuries by this percentage <clears throat> or anything like that? What we have is, is thousands of uh, people who, uh, who had an accident or surgeons or doctors or uh, rescue people saying it's unbelievable uh, the guy is broken everywhere except where he had the airbag. Mm. And uh, out of one or ten accidents, you couldn't you couldn't say anything because you know that you are not injured with the airbag, but maybe you wouldn't would you wouldn't have been injured also without. But when you have thousands of testimonies, then you are sure that it has been useful. So right now there, there's the air vest or, or air jackets you make as well with Helite. Are there, are there any air pants? Uh, we are not uh, manufacturing air pants, but there are two companies in Europe, which I know, which are, are working on uh, pants. We didn't spend too much uh, development on these because you can repair a leg. Or if you do not repair, it's not a disaster as if you break your, uh, your neck, your back spine or your chest. Mm, okay, so, but it, it will come. Some some of the companies will do it. It's much more difficult to have something efficient because if you want to protect from the neck to the bottom, 
then it's only one segment. If you want to protect the, the legs, it's four segments, right, left, and uh, leg and thigh. So it makes it much more complex to make it efficient. And a lot of the accidents are coming at the joint. If you, 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 you're going to hit your knee or your ankle, and this with the airbag, you will not really be able to protect. Uh, the, the pants, which will be on the market soon, they are mainly protecting, protecting against uh, heat side, sideways if it comes from, uh, from the outside. For example, if you, if you have an accident, you roll over and you fall on the side or on a, on a sharp object, and it will absorb sharp object on your knee, on your, uh, on your leg. You're talking the, the pants ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, with the vest then, when you were designing it, then did, did you look at uh, motorcycle injuries and say, okay, we, we can see a lot of, in, a lot of injuries are our neck and spine and, and side or, or whatever, and then look to protect those areas? Or did you build it to protect the vital areas and, and just went with that? Well, the first thing that we did is to analyze the, the statistics. In France, every time you have, uh, you have an accident with injuries, the cops are coming and you spend uh, 10, 15 minutes explaining uh, which speed you were and what happened and they measure everything. And they tick also uh, which kind of injury you had. So with all those informations, uh, we decided to protect the most important zones to protect, but we discarded uh, uh, damages on fingers, hands, elbows, knees, ankles. There are a lot of them, but uh, most of the time you can you can you can live with this. Well, if you break your spine, if if you tear your arteria, you're you're dead or you're on a wheelchair. Right. And this is really what we want to protect. Is there any speed that they work best at? Do they decrease in effectiveness with speed? I mean, I kind of picture they would. Uh, of course. Uh, if you hit a wall, if you hit a truck at uh, 50, 100 kilometers per hour, the airbag is useless because your head will be dead. Right. So you will save a little bit <laughs> your, your chest or your back spine, but anyway, you are dead. Uh, but a lot of accidents happen... Uh, when you drive fast and then you are unbalanced because a car is coming by and you just try to avoid the car, then you fall or, or you could hit that also at high speed. If you have a wild animal crossing, try to avoid, touch it a little bit. And then you roll and then the airbag is very efficient because you're going to fall uh, from, from your height on the tar road or, and then it's a first protection. Then you keep rolling, and af after rolling, you will finish in a guardrail or in a in in a car in traffic or or a pool or a tree. And and then it's even if you f if you fell at high speed, it's very useful for the second impact. Mm. So it stays inflated for quite a while after the inflation. Yes, this is also a very big difference uh, with a car airbag. The car airbag is inflating very quickly and deflating at the same speed. Uh, with a motorcycle airbag, we keep it inflated for 30 seconds. It deflates slowly. We, we could leave it uh, inflated, but uh, 
at the beginning we had a lot of customers uh, saying, hey, what, what's happening if I stay inflated and then I cannot stand up and get away from the traffic? So we decided to inflate very quickly, of course, and to stay efficient for uh, 20, 30 seconds. The times to roll, to hit something, and then realize that you are on the ground, stand up, and go away from the traffic. When you were describing how it works, you were talking about detection and then gas, and you said you need a very good gas. And that's interesting, the, the speed at which this thing inflates. Can you describe how it inflates and, and just how fast it inflates? Yeah, um, it's from uh, 20, 30 milliseconds to 150 milliseconds because when it starts inflating, it takes the shape, but you, it, it's still soft at 30 milliseconds. And then at 60 milliseconds, it's already harder. And generally at 80 milliseconds, which is faster than the blink of an eye, uh, you have a strong pressure inside. So it starts to be efficient at 30 milliseconds because it's already inflated, but not as efficient as after 80 milliseconds. 80 milliseconds is, uh, is an average because uh, the, the inflation speed will depend on the outside pressure. If you are high in the mountain, it's going to inflate faster because the outside pressure is, is less. And if you are on the seashore, it's going to be a little bit longer because the outside pressure is a little bit higher. Oh, that's interesting. So Tem temperature is changing a little bit, but the vari the variation with temperature will be a, a few milliseconds. Variation with uh, altitude uh, could be uh, up to 10, 10, 20 milliseconds difference. What about size of the vest? Does that make a difference on how fast it will inflate? Yes, this is why we are using uh, for motorcycle three different cartridges, small cartridges for small sizes, medium cartridges for medium sizes and big cartridges for the oversized because you need more gas. Uh, if you want to keep a fast inflation, you need more gas. So when we're talking 20, 60, 80, 150 milliseconds in reality of a crash, that is just a fraction of the time Maybe you can talk a little bit about that because when the bike impacts something, how much time are we talking before the average person hits the ground or another object? Yes, um, falling from a from a motorcycle, uh, just the vertical speed before you hit the ground. We're speaking about uh, three hundred, four hundred uh, milliseconds. So it's, it's it's plenty of time to be uh, to be inflated before. What is difficult is really to inflate in time if you have a front impact. Uh, for example, uh, 36 kilometers per hour is 10 meters per second. So if you inflate in uh, one-tenth uh, of a second, 100 milliseconds, uh, you will move one meter before it's fully inflated. So you see that and, and uh, 36 kilometers per hour is not very fast. If you take 72 kilometers per hour, it's 20 meters per second. So within a tenth of a second, you have already moved two meters per second. So the time of the detection is very important. This is why on the electronical uh, uh, airbags that we have, we put a sensor on the front fork. So we, we, we get uh, the information of the impact before the pilot starts to decelerate. So it gives 
one meter, one meter fifty uh, of uh, of time before you impact the car. Mm, now that's interesting. So the the head on, you're getting a lot less protection, varying in degrees, directly related to your speed and the speed of if it was a vehicle coming towards you. Yeah, the the the, the fastest you go, or the faster the vehicle is is hitting you, the faster you have to inflate. And if if you are really really fast, and the object you are hitting is really uh, steady and high, uh, you won't be inflated on time. But as I said before, in this case, anyway, your head is gone. So we are really concentrating with the airbag to avoid injuries or accidents from uh, 15 kilometers per hour up to 50 kilometers per hour. And for the ones which are higher, we, we will not protect the first impact if it's a high impact. But if you hit a car, generally, uh, you fly over. And then we protect you for the second impact. Once you hit the, the road or once you hit the, the guardrail or trees which are on the side of the road. That's important to understand because I think that sometimes with the safety gear riders will think that they're, that they're good for anything that happens. But there's so many variables when it comes to a get-off of, of any kind that um, really you only want that stuff as a, as a last resort. It's like, it's like insurance, isn't it? Um, only I'm not even sure if insurance is a good analogy. It's a last resort where you, where you hope this thing yeah. is going to make the difference. You, you could compare a little bit with the uh, COVID uh, vaccines. Uh, it really reduces <laughs> right. the, the risk uh, to, uh, to die, but uh, you cannot ensure that it's going to work hundred percent. In some cases, if you hit a front obstacles, you know, the, uh, the helmets, uh, they are tested at 5 Gs, uh, uh, at uh, 500 Gs, sorry. It, it, uh, they are tested at 27 kilometers per hour, which is nothing. You can run at, uh, uh. at 25, uh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you a, a young guy uh, fit, you can run at 20, 27 kilometers per hour. And this is a speed, even with a helmet, if you hit... Uh, uh, a brick a brick wall, then you are dead, even with the helmet. Mm. So uh, the airbag will give more protection than the helmet, not on the head, of course, on the body. But it has a limit. If you if you hit something at very high speed and something very strong, uh, heavy, or steady, then it's dangerous. If you hit a uh, uh, Something which is light and moving, like a, a fly, you won't you won't feel anything, of course, even if you are if you are at 200 kilometers per hour. But if if you hit a tree at the side of the road, and uh, and you are at 50, 100 kilometers per hour, uh, airbag, helmet, or, or whatever, you are dead. So the first thing is really uh, to ride uh, to ride safely. The airbag and the helmet like a safety belt in the car or the airbag in the car is reducing the risk. It doesn't uh, give you the, it's not a life insurance. Right. Of course, of course, we're trying, uh, we're always, uh, we, have, we have a strong uh, team of engineers who are uh, uh, working hard to improve every time we can. We improve uh, inflation time, in, in, improve the efficiency of the production. But uh, we will never get a hundred percent. You will never be able to uh, supply a, 
an insurance to have hundred percent of safety. What's the gas that you use? Uh, it depends of the products for motorcycle. Most of the time, we use a CO two. CO two. The big advantage of CO2 is that it is stored liquid. That means you can have a lot of gas in a small canister. Uh, some of the products for, uh, for industry were using uh, helium or argon uh, because we do not have any problem with, uh, with the weight or the volume. For example, if you work for uh, productions in trains, you do not care for the weight or the, or the volume then you, you can use another gas. But uh, for motorcycle, you want the, the canister, the cartridge, to retain the gas uh, as small as possible, as light as possible. And then CO2 is the most efficient. And CO2, I imagine, would be the less expensive one for when you're going to replace the canister. Yeah, it's quite uh, inexpensive. As you know, we try to get rid of it. Uh, there are too much CO2 in the atmosphere. But it's, uh, it's a natural gas. Quite easy to pro- quite easy to produce and very easy to store. And are there any sort of issues with this sort of thing when it comes to hot uh, climates, cold climates, uh, extreme altitude? You did mention that the deployment um, would be uh, quicker in a higher altitude than lower altitude uh, or elevation. Yeah, yeah. Tem- temperature with a CO two temperature is uh, is uh, the highest you go, no problem. Of course, uh, the cartridge has a temperature limit. You do not want to expose the cartridge. All the cartridges we're using are tested at uh, 110 uh, degrees Celsius. Uh, but we advise the customers to keep it less than 45, 50, kilo, 50 uh, Celsius. Then uh, it works very well uh, until zero minus five. Then if the if you are less than five, minus five degrees C's, when it's really freezing, uh, the inflation time will be slower. But the cartridge is stored against your body. So even if you are riding at minus 10, uh, the cartridge is not at minus 10, it's against your body. So, oh. so it's gonna be something in between minus 10 and what's at and the outside uh, temperature. When you say slower in uh, below minus 10, let's say, how much slower are we talking? There is a curve giving this with every every time you go down the the slowest it is, but uh, we consider that at less than uh, minus ten degrees Celsius, uh, the airbag is is I would say half of the accidents will not be covered. Mm, okay, so half effectiveness. So it drops off rather rapidly as you get into the cold. You know, if you if you hit a car and you fly over. Even at minus 10, it will have plenty of time to inflate because you're going to impact at uh, maybe one second after. So it's no problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you are driving at uh, 30 kilometers, 35 kilometers per hour, and you hit a car, then at minus 10, if the cartridge is at minus 10, not the air, huh? because as I said, it's against your body, so it's yeah. a little bit warmer, uh, then it would be, this is where you're going you're gonna to lose efficiency. Now, you're sort of known, Helite is known for the mechanical version. And often when you look at people comparing vests, they'll say, oh, there's the electronic versions and there's the mechanical versions. I know you have both now, but can you talk about the mechanical version and maybe the advantages or disadvantages, pros and cons of that over an electronic version, if there are any? Yes, you have advantages in both technologies. Just to start with, I'll just let you know that this morning when I wanted to go to work, 
I was stuck outside of my car because the electronic key uh, didn't work. Actually, I had left the key inside and it didn't work anymore. <laughs> this is the problem with the electronic. You know, you're never, it's, it's not so, it's not as reliable as, uh, because you have to rely on the electronic, but you have to rely also on the algorithm which has been set to detect the accident. Uh, this is the first problem with the electronic. Second problem, and I think the biggest problem, is that very often the customers forget to uh, charge their system. And uh, it also happens to me quite often with my phone, very often out of batteries. It's true. <laughs> and it's the same with, uh, with the airbag. You go to work, you see that you have only uh, one or two hours left uh, with your system. But if you have to arrive three hours, you won't stay home to, re to reload. You will go. And then you are, you, are, you are not protected at all. These are the weakness of the electronic. The weakness of the mechanic is for frontal impact. Uh, because uh, by the time you put your uh, tether in tension, you are losing some, some distance. So if you have a sensor on the fork, electronical sensor on the fork, you can detect the frontal impact before the mechanical system. So this is the advantage of the electronic, mm. having the, the sensor on the fork, which is detecting before. Also, the advantage of the electronic is that you do not have to clip on your motorcycle, but this is very easy. It's, it's very easy on a mechanical one to, uh, to clip yourself. You know, when you get in a car, uh, you, uh, you clip your safety, safety belt, you do not even think about it. You sit down and automatically you take your belt. And clipping on a motorcycle is, is even easier because it's, it's in front of you. You do not have to look at the buckle at your left uh, back shoulder and put it between the seat. It, it's very, very clear, very easy to set. But it's, it, it's one of the disadvantages of the mechanical one. Yeah, it's funny. When I, when I first started looking into air vests to do this piece, that's the one thing I noticed right away with your system. I thought, well, this, this clip, I mean, I'm going to have to remember to clip this up. I'm going to have to remember to unclip it. But then I thought, exactly like you said, about our seatbelts. And I thought, you know, I remember like learning to put my seatbelt on and, and it was something you had to remember to do. Yes, I forgot uh, every now and then. But after a while, of course, it became standard. It became automatic because like you get in and yeah. it, you can't even pull away. It doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. And then I thought, well, the same thing is for motorcycling. I mean, I don't ride away without my helmet. And I certainly most times don't ride away without doing up my helmet. It's like it's habits you get into. So I was thinking this is probably a pretty simple thing to get into the habit, providing you wear all the time of just clipping in. It's just like doing up your seatbelt or doing up your, your chin strap on your, on your helmet. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good description. Uh, the people who are not used to it, uh, they forget about it a few times or one week during one week. But after that, once you are used to clipping, you really feel very uncomfortable when you use a bike uh, which is not equipped with the, with the lanyard. Mm. Uh, it happens to me regularly sometimes I've, and I have to change the, the bike to test something else and I'm missing something. Same when you, are, when you are used to clipping your safety belt in the car. You sit in and if you do not put it on, you feel something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Can you describe the mechanical system? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's very simple. You have um, 
you have a buckle which is uh, fixed on your uh, on your motor on the frame of your motorcycle, generally under the, the saddle, and then you have a tether which is going from this buckle to a pin which holds a, a piston, a needle. When you remove the pin, there is a spring which is under tension, which is perforating the cartridge, and then the gas is filling the airbag vest. So it's very very simple system. Loaded spring, you release the release the spring, and the spring is always moving up. It's it's, it's very simple, yeah. So, um, what about getting off the bike and forgetting your clip top? This is the most popular question <laughs> we are facing <laughs> when people are not used to uh, to trigger the system. You need to pull something like uh, 20, 25 kilos. So when you get out of the bike. Uh, you feel that something is pulling on your on your vest or on your jacket, and then uh, you have you have plenty of time to uh, to feel oh something's wrong and you disconnect. Right. In case you forget about it and you run away from the bike, uh, it's gonna inflate your jacket and it costs only 22, 22 euros, uh, thirty Canadian dollars, something like this. So it's, it's not a big deal and uh, it happens once in a while and uh, the reaction of the, of, the, of the bikers, of the users are always very positive. They say, oh, I forgot about it, I ran away, uh, but at least I know how it works and quite satisfied to see that it works very well. It's not, it's not, it's not a big problem. And once it goes off, you, you can just sort of unzip something or open a flap and replace the CO2 cartridge? Very easy, nothing to, to fold, nothing. You just have to remove the old cartridge, screw back a new cartridge. Dead simple. It's a matter of, uh, let's say if you're not used to it, uh, one, one, one minute to two minutes maximum. Now, um, I mentioned you also have electronic versions. Can you talk about your electronic version? Yeah, so as I explained, the electronic version is a bit more sophisticated. We have a sensor which is located on the on the front fork, and sensors which are also located in the jacket, and they are communicated together. It's like having two point of view or having the eyes and the ear, and combining both informations, we will decide if we, if it is an accident or or just uh, something. Uh, uh, for example, if you if you drive fast on the road and you have a hole in the road. You will have a big shock on the on the front wheel, but the body is not moving. So then we decide this is not an accident. If you hit something front, the front fork sensor will say, "Hey, I moved backward very quickly. Something's wrong." And meanwhile, the body starts to move uh, uh, to move forward very very quickly and to rotate very quickly. And then we decide that. This this is a this is an accident. Of course, this is a little bit simple the way I explain because we have uh, many different sensors and many different cases. Additionally, we have the uh, the GPS. Uh, for every speed, we have a different algorithm. We do not uh, detect the the same way if we are at slow speed, middle speed, or high speed. So it's a combination of all these informations, which is uh, deciding if it's an accident or not. What if for some reason it doesn't get a GPS signal? If you're in a very tight spot, 
Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, but uh, if you enter a tunnel, uh, our algorithm is taking the speed you had before you enter the tunnel, and then uh, every two, three seconds, you are decreasing by, by, by one kilometer. So most of the time, uh, you will have uh, you will still have a good algorithm by the time you get out of the of the tunnel. We want to do this because uh, if somebody is getting in a garage, uh, we do not want him to uh, uh, stop completely, remove the best, and throw it on the ground or on a bed or, or and, and trigger. This is just to avoid. Uh, unexpected uh, inflations and to avoid changing the cartridge. Mm. Now, when you were explaining about the, the front end collision, like a direct front hit, you were saying about the, the, the speed difference and how you'd, um, it, it makes a difference in how, in how fast or how much it deploys the vest before you actually strike an object or possibly that front fork sensor. That's for that reason, isn't it? It, it um, detects yeah, yeah, it earlier. Definitely. Yeah, we're, we're of, uh, this, this is where we have the first impact. We're saving time, and uh, it gives information much before to inflate the airbag. Because there's other vests on the market, as you know, that have the brain uh, for all, all your algorithms on your back only, without that fork sensor. How much of an advantage is that that fork sensor? Uh, it's really, it's really uh, f- first, it tells you have only the sensors on the vest. Uh, most manufacturers, they do not trigger at slow speed. Otherwise, uh, when you get out of the when you get out of the bike, you trigger. You know, if you lean backward, if you lean frontward, backward, just to ride down, or uh, if you start uh, walking or taking stairs, if you forget to uh, to switch off, then it will trigger. With the fork sensor, if the pilot, if we're at uh, less than 10, 12 kilometers per hour, if you fall on your own, it will not trigger. We want a combination of both front impact, fork impact, and motion of the pilot. Mm. Yeah, because I imagine there's a a bit of a delay there, isn't there, from the bike actually making the impact to the the person moving on the bike. I mean, milliseconds, I guess, but... Yeah, it's uh, for... uh, We made a lot of crash tests at the speed. We think it's useful between 20 and and 50 kilometers per hour. And uh, on these speeds... Typically, 35, 40 kilometers per hour. Uh, the front fork is giving the information 60 milliseconds before the vest would trigger alone, and the, and this is this is a lot. It means most most of the time for a frontal impact with the fork sensor, you can be inflated in time, and without, you are not inflated in time. Hey, I just want to ask you about um, fit because I, I know there's a couple of different styles. I know you're making jackets now that have the air vest built into the jacket, but you also have the air vest that you put over a jacket. The ones that go over the jacket, they appear, at least from what I've seen, to be much thicker than the in-jacket style. Is there a difference in thickness? Is there a difference in effectiveness? Yes, because uh, if you want to have uh, an airbag which fits inside every kind of jacket, you need a small volume. Otherwise, you would over-compress the pilot uh, inside if the, if the jacket doesn't inflate. It's especially the case at the neck. Uh, if you have an inner airbag, you cannot have a neck protection because you cannot, the, 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 the neck of the jacket doesn't, doesn't inflate. It's stuck 
be behind the armpit and then the jacket doesn't move up and uh, so there's a very big advantage to have the airbag outside because then you can supply a very big volume and a volume around the helmet and this is a very big advantage it's less the, the disadvantage is that it's less uh, as it is outside you see it and if you want to uh, to be very nice in front of girls a saturday afternoon saturday evening uh, then it's better to have a, a, a very nice uh, motorcycle jacket but for efficiency you better have a, a big vo a big volume of protection right if for travelers if, you, if you're going to take this thing you're going to go on an adventure you're going to ride around the world or to another country whatever the case is and you're going to be in places where you're off the grid now i know the mechanical one will work no problem and you're saying you can replace the canister yourself no problem how about the electronic version does it need connectability to a phone or anything like that to keep it going uh, not our system. Our system is uh, is fully autonomous, except for the GPS. But you have GPS coverage, except under tunnel or, or parking lots. But you have GPS coverage everywhere. Arctic, Antarctic, Africa, America, everywhere you have a GPS uh, signal. So this is no problem. And we are not connected with a phone or there is no, no problem on this. Oh, so your electronic version doesn't have an app that you, you have to control it or anything? Yeah, we do not have, so far we do not have any app and uh, the, the airbag is totally autonomous, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned one point is about traveling. When you travel with an airplane, normally you're not supposed to take uh, a big, uh, big uh, compressed air canisters. Uh, four safety jackets, which could be a life jacket, you know, uh, when you, to avoid droning, mm -hmm. or airbag jacket, it's called safety jackets then you are allowed to have your jacket with the cartridge and you have you are allowed to have two uh, spare uh, cartridges also. Ah, good information. So two spares plus the one that's in your jacket already is fine on a plane. Yeah, yeah. So it gives you time. And uh, for our system, we have dealers uh, not in every country, but in most of the countries. So if, if somebody wants to travel from... Uh, from America to uh, to Europe or, or vice versa. If you do not want to take the, the cartridges with you or if you are only two spares, you can easily find some uh, in another country. Are they Helite uh, canisters or are they just CO2 canisters? It has to be Helite canisters because okay. it's very important to have, uh, you know, the canisters are locked with, uh, with a cap, a safety cap. Mm -hmm. And if it's too thick, then uh, the piston, the needle, will have difficulty to purse. And uh, also you want the neck to be very big. Most of the cartridges you find for paintball or, or this kind of, uh, of uses for to put pressure in the, in the beer barrels or uh, you, you do not care for the, um, for the, the vastness of the inflation. So you can make a small hole and have a small neck. While on our cartridges, we have a very wide neck to allow a very fast inflation. Mm, okay, so, so we, we we definitely uh, we definitely uh, request to use the original uh, Helite cartridges. Right, makes sense. So the, the back to the electronic version for one second. So there's no subscription with that. When you buy the electronic Helite version, that's it. You own it outright, and and you're done. No, you, you, you buy it, you just have to match your sensor 
with your jacket. Uh, why this? Because you do not want, if you, if you drive with a friend, if you fall, to inflate his vest. Ah, right. So you have to match your vest with your fork sensor. This is very easy. You press your, uh, your system uh, for over three seconds, and then you have 30 seconds to match the fork uh, sensor with the jacket, just putting a small magnet which is supplied with the jacket in front of the fork sensor, and it's matching the vest and the sensor. Could be useful also, for example, if you ride with your girlfriend, you have two vests on the same motorcycle, but one fork. So you want you to uh, use the same front fork to inflate both jackets. Oh. You, you yeah. can also have uh, two, three uh, motorcycles and have uh, three... Uh, a sensor on each uh, motorcycle, but using the same vest. So this you can you can match several sensors with one vest or one sensor with several vests. Oh, very nice. Now, what power is that sensor that's on the fork? It has an inner battery, and it's very low consumption, so you do not need to recharge because it would be too. Uh, uh, it's not very comfortable to recharge. Uh, when your when your biking is in your garage and you're you're in your uh, your kitchen or so uh, the fork sensor is is autonomous for uh, supposedly ten years but uh, we give a five year uh, warranty. So five years at least on the fork sensor, and then what do you do? Send it back to get the battery changed? Yeah, we we put our electronic system on the market only a year ago. And so we do not have anybody who will reach the five years, but uh, we will see what will be our technology in four years from now. And uh, certainly for the people who are sending us back their fork sensor, we'll make a commercial action uh, to help them uh, either change this one or buy the new technology. Uh, I see. Right. But it's not, this is not for next year. <laughs> right. Right. What would you say to someone if they're considering getting some sort of air vest for riding? The airbag is really bring, it cannot bring any uh, any bad effect. It can only bring more uh, safety. Mm, that's a really good. That's point. really worth. I do not have the numbers in Canada or in America, but uh, in France we still have uh, eight hundred fatalities per year. In Brazil they have twelve thousand fatalities a year. So it's, it's very important to improve the safety. Do you think they were headed for a day when, when this will become mandatory, like helmets in a lot of places? Yes, it will, yeah. sooner or later. Um, though, you know, in America, in some states, you do not need to wear helmets. Sure. So you will always have states which will be very free. Personally, I, I like freedom. And uh, I'm not so to have it compulsory but if you look back you know that if it is mandatory you will save people so you have to put it in the balance mm. Gerard thank you very much for your time I, I know you're a busy guy and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk thank you very much it was pleasant to answer your questions I've been speaking with Gerard Teveneau the founder of Helite Motorcycle Air Vest from his office in France now, we've got some more information in the show notes for this episode, along with some videos that show these vests, how they inflate both in demos and in a crash. 
all available at our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now, to wrap things up, we're going to go back to where we started. We're going to talk with the guy who crashed with his motorcycle vest. Remember Craig Renneker for at the beginning of the show? He's the guy that was run off the road by a pickup truck. You know, he's trying to merge onto the highway. He had his air vest inflate and got up and walked away. But we also mentioned that Craig was an early adopter for air vest technology. He's been wearing them for years. So he's got a lot of firsthand experience with several different types and makes of vests and jackets. And he's also had them inflate in not only the two crashes that he's had, but as well when he's been riding off road. And I think at least one incident was when he really didn't want it to inflate. So, okay, Craig, now after you had the get off, the, the truck forces you off the road, you end up going down, your air vest inflates and you get up and you sort of shake yourself off and find you're, you're all good to go again. Uh, is the air vest destroyed at this point? Was it ripped up in the crash? How, how did that fare and what sort of damage are we talking? No. And, and in fact, that was one of the things that turned out to be good with the climb vest. You wear that under your gear. So you wear that under your gear. So all the abrasion was taken by my uh, my climb latitude suit. And so after the after I got up again, set the motorcycle up, all I had to do is take my jacket off. I unzipped the vest. I took the vest off. I flipped it over and uh, took the back cover off of it with no tools required or anything. And then I unscrewed the CO2 cartridge. And then once you unscrew the cartridge, all the gas escapes from the bag and it just flattens down again. And then all, um, all I had to do, and I did this the, the next day, was get a new cartridge, $99, and screw that into the jacket. And then with the iPhone app, uh, you scan the uh, 2D barcode that's on the replacement cartridge. That uploads the information to Climb. So they know something has happened. Uh, they know that the, you know, the jacket's gone off. And then it registers that that new cartridge is in your uh, is in your vest and it was ready to go, ready to work again in just a matter of minutes. Wow. Just, it sounds so impressive. Now, did you get a phone call from in in motion who makes the air bag that's in that vest? No, I did not. No. Did, did they, they ever contact you about it? Did they get off and, and no. So they weren't no, notified they of it. Hmm. No, I, I do wonder if some of the data that was recorded was uploaded to them. It could very well could have been, but I, I never received any noti- notification of that. How difficult was it to get into the habit of making sure that you wore it every time? The habit of wearing it every time was never an issue. It was like, you know, you don't need to be in the habit of putting your helmet on when you ride your bike, right? And you just, that's just what you do. That's, that's part of your, your, um, your routine. The habit I had trouble with was remembering to connect the tether. That's what I had the most trouble with. I never had trouble remembering to disconnect it when I got off the bike because it gives you a little tug to remind you. But many times I'd be riding along and I look down and realize, oh, I never connected the tether. It's not going to do you any good if it's not connected to the bike. You know? <laughs> and I have replaced that tether. I've probably bought three or four um, hit air tethers over the years because if I don't connect it, sometimes it ends up getting melted on the exhaust. I've had a couple get chewed up by the, uh, by the chain and sprocket. So I've, I've, I've ruined several of those tethers by forgetting to attach them properly. Oh, wow. That's kind of a scary thought of getting caught in the sprocket. Lucky it was only chewed up and didn't wrap. 
Yeah, they're 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 not. I mean, they're strong enough, but it doesn't seem to be anything that would would cause too much trouble. And I never had that issue. It just I could tell it was all you know, chewed up. It'd been running on the uh, running on the uh, the chain for a while, and it was just no, no good. So I got another one. But you mentioned about it not being a, a problem to remember putting it on because it's your gear. It's part of your gear. Same as the thing is when we put on our helmet and we do up the strap. It's like a a routine you go through. What was it about the getting on your bike and buckling it that you just couldn't get? And how long did you try it for? Well, see, I rode with a tether jacket from 2009 to 2020. So, you know, that was several years of riding with it. And um, I don't know, I guess just basic human forgetfulness or you get distracted. You get in the middle of your routine of getting all your gear together. And for me, a squirrel could run by me and I'd get distracted <laughs> and uh, and I just forget to forget to to latch it on. How many rides do you think, like how often are you riding? In other words, is it a daily commute? Is it just for weekends? Is it once every few weeks? Oh, well, let's see. I probably put 90,000 miles on my 1200 GS during that time. And uh, um, I used to try to ride to work at least once per month throughout the winter and everything even. Did a couple of very long trips with it. I don't know. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times. I mean, it was hundreds of times I got on on on, on and off that bike with uh, and dealt with the uh, dealt with the tether. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So now uh, you've been riding some dirt as well, I assume, because you rode with rawhide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our the ideal type of riding I like to do is is that New Mexico backcountry discovery route was just perfect. That's exactly the type of stuff I like to do. So lots of off road, some technical, you know. A little, climbing hills with rocks on them, lots of deep sand. What did you find the vests were like for riding in those times? Because obviously with a lot of slow speed stuff with adventure bikes, we have get-offs, we fall over, we drop off the bike. The tether is an obvious one that could be a problem, but even with the electronic one, what was your experience with these? Yeah, very good question. That was also another one of the reasons I wanted to move to the climb vest. Because uh, when we ride in the sand and uh, we, we have lots of drops, I do worry that I'm going to set the jacket off and I don't need it. That did happen to me once where I dropped it in the sand. I didn't need any protection. It was eight inches of deep sand, so I didn't really need the protection of the bike. And so I started just not riding with it when I would be in the sand. So if I was going to do a long ride like that, I would just not use it. And after a while, I realized, well, that's that's not that great because you're going to be on the pavement going between sections of the sand. And, uh, and it would be better if I could get to something where I did not have to deal with the, uh, with the tether and the climb has done pretty well. I had, I've had two simple off-road drops uh, with the climb on and it did not, it did not go off and it didn't need to go off either. So, uh, uh, so that's an improvement. And a couple of times I dropped my bike most recently down in Asheville, North Carolina, a week or so ago, we were doing a Jeep trail and I dropped it in a mud puddle and, uh, and it didn't go off and it didn't need to go off. So it works, it works quite well for that. So the, as far as the slow speed get off, though, you've never had it deploy where it, where it needed to? No, no. Uh, it deployed once when I dropped in the sand. That was the very first jacket I had within a week of me having it. And also the very first time I ever rode in the sand. So I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never had another inadvertent deployment like uh, people ask me all the time, well, what if you get to the gas station and you get off the bike and you forget, isn't it going to go off? And that never, ever happened because it takes a fairly good pull. And so you get a little tug that reminds you that, oh yeah, I forgot to disconnect the tether um, and you and you disconnect it. So I've never, I've never had an, uh, an issue like that where it's gone off accidentally. Mm, yeah. Same sort of, if you do it with your headphones, I've done it with my headphones plenty of times where you start to walk away and you realize that you've, you'd put your 
your player in the bag, in your tank bag, because you want to charge it and then it yanks your head back. But I'm even with those small wires, that's enough to catch your attention. Right. So any downside do you see with the vest? Well, um, they do block the airflow a bit. So on a very hot day, uh, there's no way around that because the, uh, the, the bag in the vest that holds the air cannot pass air. You just can't do that. So it does block your airflow. Um, having it inside the jacket seems to be a little bit better than having it over, over the jacket. But I would say that's about the only, only compromise I would see is, uh, is blocking your airflow a bit in the, in the, in the summer when it's hot. The, the issues of keeping it charged and everything, those are pretty minor. The, the battery life is very, very long on the, on the climb. Um, so I charge it up at night and then I, in the morning I get up and ride and you ride all day long and, and you're fine. Just recharge it that, that night. So, and you potentially really could even charge it on your bike if you were, if you were camping somewhere or something like that. Oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add to this? No, I just, uh, I would have to say, I don't understand why more people don't wear these. I mean, I've shown my jacket and my vest to a hundred, couple of hundred other riders and very, very, very few, I mean, less than three that I can think of decided to go out and buy one on their own. And, and I honestly don't understand it because it seems like such a simple, simple thing and provides so much incremental protection to you. Not that expensive and it's easy to deal with. I, I just don't quite understand it. Uh, so I'm really, really happy, uh, Jim, that you're doing this episode and giving me that opportunity to talk about it because I really do think it could protect a lot of people if more people would wear these airbag vests and airbag jackets. Well, that's great, Craig. I really appreciate you coming on and telling us your experience with it. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Jim. That was Craig Renneker telling us about his firsthand experience with his air vest that he's had over the years. Now, I guess the question you have to answer is, can you justify the cost of an airbag vest or jacket for yourself? Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course the you the listener thank you very much for listening to the show we do appreciate it I want to give a special thank you to our patron supporters because they were a huge help on, on getting this episode together with um, when we were doing our research I also want to thank the companies that took the time to, to talk with us and get this information together for you guys and I, I really hope you, you got a lot from this Also, we would love it if you would drop by wherever you're getting your podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our podcast. Go and subscribe on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We would love it if you would do that for us. It's something we should have been starting or asking right from the start, but we never did. Anyway, if you do it for us, we would appreciate it. Um, You can rate us everywhere that you, you find the podcast. That would help other people find the show. 
Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much once again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 